Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Wednesday, November the 1st, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Good morning, Tyler, from wherever it is Tyler called, and he and Dabo went at it a bit. Somebody, <laughs> good Clemson friend of mine, sent me that audio yesterday. Tyler from um, Spartanburg, maybe? Yeah, Tyler from Spartanburg. <laughs> there you go. As a Gamecock fan, you kind of enjoy when there's confusion on the uh, on the other side. <laughs> Pump, did you speaking of that? Did you see what our buddy Phil Cornblut did in the conference yesterday? I didn't. He was at apparently. This is what I read. He was at Dabo Sweeney's press conference, and Dabo asked, "Hey, what's everybody dressing up for as Halloween?" And Cornblut says, "Tyler from Spartanburg." Oh, okay, okay. Cornblut <laughs> making a name for himself yeah. in the uh, in the Dabo, and, and apparently Dabo laughed. I yeah. Mean, well, I mean, Phil, excuse me, Phil and Dabo have a hate hate relationship. That's <laughs> <laughs> not being. It's not been uh, the best in the world. Here's the deal. The national media chastised Dabo for blaming the fans. Um, I listened a little bit of ESPN radio yesterday when they were talking about, you know, everything's not well and, or, you know, there's no joy in Mudville, so to speak. But here's what the national media fails to understand. Dabo doesn't coach the national media. Dabo doesn't coach uh, the University of Oregon or Southern California or UCAL Berkeley. Dabo coaches at Clemson, and that's a special place. I mean, I'm not a fan, but it's a different kind of place. It's um, He's the perfect coach for that program. Um, Lou Holtz was the perfect coach at Notre Dame. That there's some places it just fits. And here's what's happening, and here's what, here's what will happen. Because I had a lot of Gamecock friends text me yesterday. Dabo put his foot in his mouth. Dabo made a fool of himself. Dabo stooped. To a new low. No, no. Dabo did. I'm not sure he didn't have it staged to give him a chance to kind of circle the wagons and explain, you know, hey, I think in the in the diatribe, in the rant, he said, Clemson had sniffed the national championship in 35 years till I got here, and we've won two in seven years. Is he wrong? I mean, is he factually incorrect? How many times has Clemson won double-digit games consecutive seasons? Now, that's a bit misleading, and I'm tired of hearing coaches say, or, or advocates for coaches say, you know, well, they didn't win double-digit games until, well, I mean, you didn't play 12 games for a long time. I mean, the season went from 11 to 12. So how many nine-win seasons has Clemson had under Danny Ford that would have been 10-win seasons had they got a chance to play, with all due respect, Appalachian State or somebody, you know, like that? Danny would have won a bunch of, I mean, Danny would have had a bunch of double-digit win seasons as well. But here's the equation. You ready? And we'll, this is going to sit in the politics. Here's the equation. Every time Trump spoke to his base, the national media assumed that he'd stepped in it. And he got stronger. And he got stronger. And he got stronger. So every time ESPN believes that Dabo stepped in it, or the sports writer at the Wall Street Journal believes Dabo stepped in it, he's endearing himself to Clemson faithful even more. So, you know, and, and Dabo's no fool. I mean, D Dabo kind of backed into the job, no question about it. He talked a little bit about that. Um, it was funny to me, though. You could tell Dabo when he said this, because this was hilarious to me, when he said, I've never failed at anything. And I'm like, whoa, dude, come on now. I mean, it don't carry it that far. <laughs> but, but similar to Donald Trump, you ready? Similar to me in a weird way. There are some people who believe if they're talking, they're winning. And there is a time to put a period and not a comma. So when Dabo kept going, Tyler, Tyler, how old are you? 
Where are you from? You know, Tyler. And, and the way he said, I ain't ever felt anything. I, that's when I started laughing. I mean, it's because he became kind of a real dude, PO'd, you know, that somebody didn't appreciate all the good work he's done uh, at Clemson. I think the guy, I mean, the way the guy asked the question, I don't know. I just, I, something tells me it may have been staged. I mean, something tells me that because he, he went after his pay, you know, and how much he's making and the performance of the team, and uh, something just smells a bit fishy um, to me. But but I'll tell you this, um, I, I would imagine, forget ESPN, forget the national media, who cares what the national media thinks of Dabo Sweeney, what does Clemson fans and Clemson faithful, and I use the, um, the comparison to Trump. When Trump said something, the national media said, boy, he sure stepped in it now. Okay. He went from 53 to 56% uh, amongst Republican primary voters. And then he would say something else. Well, that's the end of that. I mean, he's, he's done now. And he went from 56 to 59%. I just think Dabo gets that. Dabo understands who he's accountable to and who cares deeply and passionately about Clemson football. And that was the message for those people. It was not for the ESPN pundits or the national media. Dabo could care less. Uh, what they think of him, he's concerned about the Clemson faithful and do they remember what all we've done or are they kind of uh, reflecting on this four and four moment? I did see this, Rev, yesterday. Um, The 10 most disappointing seasons in college football this year, number one is Clemson, number two is South Carolina. (laughs) One has four wins, one has two wins. I mean, obviously, the expectations to Clemson were grander than the expectations in Columbia. But a lot of Gamecock fans believed that, you know, after the way they ended the season last year, they could have, you know, a um, a, a legitimately challenging season. I mean, maybe not to Georgia, but challenged Tennessee and Missouri. I don't think people believed it be Missouri at the time as the second-best team in the East. But one of the national media outlets said the most disappointing season in college football this year is Clemson. The second most disappointing is South Carolina. So they beat us again, Rev. <laughs> they, 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 they beat us <laughs> yeah, again. And the, one, so. and the one thing. Well, that one I'll be that, okay uh, with. Yeah, well, maybe we are. Maybe we are. There's football to be played is, is what I'll say. I want to go back to yesterday. Because when I sit down here Monday morning, I'm not as prepared as I am Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The shows kind of write themselves. Um, you decide some of the topics you're most interested in. Um, you know, Williams call about gun control to the second amendment and the, uh, you know, the events in Maine, um, the mass shooting, uh, we kind of went down that road and the Heller case and Scalia, the courts and, you know, you end up in this place of, did they kill Scalia or not? Anyway, um, th- there's so many fragmentations to, to most of these stories, but, but I want to go back to something. I told Josh, I need his help today because Rev and I, I mean, I think when I speak, and I don't, I don't, I don't say this a lot, but I think on the Israeli situation, when I speak, I speak for a generation. I'm not saying the generation believes exactly what I believe, nor should they, but, but, but the generation has been, um, impacted by, ah, winning the cold war, the Reagan doctrine, you know, peace through strength, funding the military at a high level no matter what it costs, and if things have to go lacking over here, we can't allow them um, to go lacking over there. And we came up with a question, hypothetical, and I want to get Josh in on this because I asked him this morning, um, where 
I mean, if if indeed, and there's no question about it, we have two factions in politics today. Um, I mean, we got two parties, but they're not factions. Uh, the Uniparty exists. It's alive and well. If you don't believe me, uh, watch them try to work through the Ukrainian-Israeli funding side. I mean, you'll see who's, and I want to give the new speaker a lot of credit. I mean, he's, um, he's, I mean, Mike Johnson is doing something that I never imagined he would do. Um, he is asking for an offset for foreign aid. Saw that. I mean, that that's foreign. I mean, the, the, the Democrats. And he wants to take it out of the IRS budget. Sure. I mean, but it's an offset. Yeah. I mean, it, he says, okay, uh, I'll vote. I'll, I'll introduce a bill. I'll allow it to get to the floor. I'll let the body vote on it. And the speaker can do that. I mean, he controls the, you know, what happens in that chamber. So the speaker basically says, I will allow this bill to be voted on, but I want an offset. Now, he didn't do that on his own volition. I mean, he, he sat down with the caucus and some of the, the committee chairs, some of the prominent members of the, the Republican Party and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, no matter what McConnell said, forget what the Senate said. It, it's our job now to, to pass a bill that the majority of House members agree on. So I believe that if we separate the Israeli-Ukrainian funding and we ask for an offset, we can get this out of committee. We can get this uh, out of the uh, out of the body into back in the Senate's hands. Um, now, once again, I don't know where it goes from here, but but I think so far, Mike Johnson has performed admirably in the one bill that he's had to deal with. Um, I'm for separated the funding. I've said that, but I didn't even think of the offset. I mean, we're talking about deficit spending. Uh, we're going to be six hundred. We're going to spend this month and the month of uh, November now, the month of October. Uh, there'll be a tallying done, but it looks like we're going to spend. You ready for this? You ready? $600 billion in October that we don't have. Hmm. That's kind of the bill. I mean, there, there's some accounting and clerical issues with this, and, and there's some, some backloading of spending that hits in, in October, but it looks to me, I mean, it's about 579 or 80 now, but Biden, I think unconstitutionally, forgave about 123 billion dollars in student debt i mean he argues he has a way to do this um i say he doesn't but anyway the courts will eventually decide that but if you add that to it it's 700 billion dollars in one single month now now once again there's some backloaded spending here that hits the books in october but the bill due for federal spending in the month of october exceeds our intake by 600 billion dollars so why not ask for an offset? I mean, the preposterous thing would be pass the spending without asking for an offset. So what what I'd, what Johnson has proposed is, um, and it's kind of in McConnell's face. I mean, it really is. McConnell said, and he always says this because he has no clue what the American people are thinking because he never talks to anybody in America. It's only Washington. I guess they're Americans, but they're inside the Beltway. But um, but McConnell said that he believes Ukrainian and Israeli funding are the most important thing to the American people. Uh, no, I mean, there are a lot of things more important than even Israeli funding uh, to the American people. But Johnson took the Senate bill and, and, and basically separated Ukrainian funding from Israeli funding. He's got the Israeli funding and border security in one bill, and he's asking for a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset. Whatever we're spending to secure the border, whatever we're spending, uh, and additionally to secure the border, whatever we're spending in Israel is going to be offset by cuts to the IRS. Remember the, 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 the multiple billions of dollars and multiple thousands of agents that we're going to hire for the IRS? 
Johnson wants that nixed, done away with. And from what I'm reading and gathering and talked to a source, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, somebody who's been on the show before, um, it looks like the caucus will support that. So, guys, there is, I mean, that's a big win for America first. I mean, that, that's a huge win. And I said it toward the end of the show yesterday. I've said it, and I'll say it again. I don't trust Matt Gates any further than I can throw him. I think Gates is always looking for a way to put himself in the spotlight, put himself as the center of attention. But if the House is able this week to get that bill out of that chamber of Congress, that side of Congress, back to the Senate, that is a tremendous win for not just America first, but Matt Gates. I mean, he was the guy yeah, that, that had the, you know, the, um, I mean, you could call it what you'd like to call it. Maybe it should have taken as long and, and maybe we shouldn't have a, a single member having the ability to make a motion to vacate. I mean, that's, you know, we can argue over that, but we do. That was one of the deals McCarthy made to become speaker. So when you make a deal to become speaker that allows one member to make a motion to vacate, you never sleep well as speaker. You know, you wake up the next day understanding somebody that you made mad yesterday or disappointed yesterday couldn't make a motion um, to vacate. But, uh, but, but Johnson appears to be our guy. Now, now I, I don't have any idea where it goes. If that bill goes to the Senate, the Senate says dead on arrival. Where do you go from there? Do you begin negotiating? Do you reinstate the funding for the IRS? Do you put the Ukrainian funding back in? Don't have any idea. But he has put his stake in the ground, and it is very reflective of an America first agenda, um, much more so than Kevin uh, McCarthy. 843-661-0937. Let's take a break. We'll be back in a few. 843-661-0937. So the $14.3 billion standalone bill that will pay for aid to Israel is going to be offset by cutting that same amount that was allocated the IRS under, remember the Inflation Reduction Act? I mean, I don't know how adding agencies and giving more money to the IRS has anything to do with the Inflation Reduction Act, but that was, I mean, that's kind of the way Washington um, rolls. But Mike Johnson, and I'll read his, I mean, I'll read his comments. You ready? We're going to have pay-fors in every bill. We're not just going to print money and send it overseas. That is so on target as far as I'm concerned. Now, now once again, he's not speaker and majority leader. I mean, there's a, there's kind of a yin and yang here. There's what the House does and then what the Senate uh, will decide to do. And the Senate wants to, I guess, pair the Israeli aid with the Ukrainian aid and no offset, which would be about $105 billion. So $14.3 billion in additional aid to Israel as a standalone bill offset by cuts to the IRS. It's not cuts. It's just not granting the new funding, uh, not allocating the new appropriations uh, that the IRS was set to receive under the Inflation uh, Reduction Act. Uh, it's, it's going to be unpopular amongst Democrats. It'll be interesting to watch Republicans. That's what I'm most interested in. Who of the Republicans in the Senate support the 14.3 standalone to Israel? Um, Rand Paul probably won't support it in any way, shape, or form, because it includes sending money overseas. And Rand Paul has been probably, I mean, Rand, if non-intervention is a sliding scale, Rand Paul would be on the isolationist end of the uh, the non-interventionist. I mean, I think he understands the world is complicated, and America needs to have some presence in the world. But um, And this is where I want to go to Josh, because I, I really want to begin a conversation here, because I think it's very interesting. 
I, I want I want to preface this question by offering up just a brief commentary. Stick with me for a second. Uh, I read yesterday. I wanted to make sure I had these facts straight. Um, I read yesterday that 33 Americans were killed as part of the Hamas invasion and genocide in Israel. 33 Americans lost their lives that day in Israel. Um, there are 10 American hostages as we speak. There are We can confirm that. I mean, there are 10 hostages. There were 33 Americans killed uh, on October 7, 7 or 8, yeah, about a month ago, a little less than a month ago when, when, um, when Hamas you know, committed genocide on the, the citizens of Israel and I guess the visitors in Israel. Um, we believe, and this is a State Department number, we believe there are about 600 Americans trapped in Gaza. What are they doing there? Don't have any idea. I mean, I can tell you there won't be 601. I mean, you'd have never tripped this old boy into being in Gaza. But, I, you know, the, the people are more curious than I, I guess. They want to see the world differently than I do. Maybe they had a job that led them to Gaza. Maybe they worked with an international conglomerate that had a, you know, a place open. Anyway, for whatever reason, there are 600 Americans, and that's a State Department number. Uh, the other numbers have been confirmed by multiple media outlets. Ten hostages, 33 dead, killed. This is interesting to me. Why are we not talking about that? I mean, why is the media not every single day telling us that 33 Americans were killed? Did you know that, Rev? Um, I did not know that. I, 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 I thought I'd, I guess I kind of assumed or gathered that a couple of Americans were probably. But I mean, the media didn't make it front right, center. Right. Uh, well, because it makes Biden look bad, well, of right? Of course it does. And it just didn't make Biden look bad. I mean, Hamas is a proxy for Iran. And for whatever reason, uh, the Obama acolytes, I didn't say Biden, the Obama acolytes are sympathetic to Iran for, for whatever reason. I mean, I, I'll get there in a second because I've got this extravagant theory that I'm going to try out on our, on our listeners. We delved into that, into that yesterday. So you got 10 hostages, you got 600 Americans trapped, you got 33 Americans dead, and the media says, um, here, here's, here's the New York Times, CBS News, you ready? The Israeli invasion of Gaza has begun. I mean, if you apply that same standard, we invaded Germany. It's a counteroffensive. Hamas resides in Gaza. Hamas crossed the border and butchered and beheaded innocent Jewish civilians and citizens. It's not an invasion of Gaza. It is a military counteroffensive. It's bizarre to me. And and here's where my theory gets uh, down the road. I said yesterday, Breeze kind of perked my, I, I piqued my curiosity when he said, you know, I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm pretty good at finding the bad guys. Well, I mean, I, I, bad guys, good guys, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? I mean, Josh may like a, a green car and I like a red car. I think Josh's green car is ugly. He thinks my red car is ugly. Neither are ugly, neither are pretty. It's in the eye of the beholder. That's why they make different colors. That's why we have different places to eat. That's why you have chicken and hamburger and steak. I mean, people don't like the same things. So I think the bad person and the good person in all of this is, I mean, it's relevant, no doubt about it. I mean, Hamas is bad. Hezbollah is bad. Biden's decisions are subjective, right? Trump's rhetoric is subjective. Um, Should we separate the Israeli-Ukrainian funding bill? I think we should. But it doesn't mean that those who don't are bad, does it? 
I mean, we disagree. And I would question their their motivations. Are they beholden to the military-industrial complex? If they've been in Washington long, they probably are. But I can't say they're bad people because they want to send money to Israeli, uh, Israel and Ukraine and further fund the IRS. I think it's fiscally irresponsible. So, so, so forget bad and good for a second. Who are the consequential players? Let's use that word. Who are the people that really have created th- th- this mindset? Because there is no doubt today in America the American political left is sympathetic to um, sympathetic to those who are anti-Semitic. I'm not ready to say the American political left is anti-Semitic. The, the American political left today is anti-Israel. And, and maybe the reason they're anti-Israel is their sympathy to those who are anti-Semitic. Why would CBS News say that in their headline? Israel invasion of Gaza. I mean, that's the headline. The Israeli invasion of Gaza has begun. It's not the Israeli counteroffensive to the events of October 7. I mean, that's media accuracy. I mean, that's what's yeah, happening. The headline could have simply been Israel response. Sure. I mean, that's what the, I mean, in, in all honesty, that's what the headline should have been. You know, Israel responds to the genocide that was perpetrated against them some 23 or four or four years ago. But, but, but I think you've got to open the can, uh, and it's a can of worms. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But why has the American political left become so anti-Israel? Why has the American political left become so anti, so sympathetic to those who are anti-Semitic? And, and I want to go back to Brit, but good guy, bad guy. I don't have any idea. Who is the most prominent? I'm asking Josh. I mean, I, I, I think I've got it answered, but, but I want to get your take and, and Rev's take. Who was the I mean, we started down this road yesterday. Who was the most prominent Western intellectual in the world today? Me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, prominent Western intellectual? I I don't know. Okay. Rev? Well, and, and I, I don't know. Yesterday you were talking about Obama. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a, obviously in a political sense. Well, I mean, to, to me, he has shaped the the values and mindset of the American political left more than anybody has. I mean, he was a transformative political figure. Forget talent. Yep. Uh, we're talking about Clemson and Dabo. I mean, the one thing Dabo's struggling with is not having a generational talent at quarterback. Coaching becomes a lot easier when you have a generational talent at quarterback. Barack Obama was a generational political talent. There's no denying that. In mine in your lifetime, Reagan would have been the generational political talent. Um, George H.W. Bush was not. George W. Bush was not. Bill Clinton was good, but he was not a generational political talent. There were a lot of Bill Clintons. There ain't many Barack Obamas. So I'm yeah, arguing I'm arguing that, that the center of this, and once again, here's how I'm, I'm couching it. The American political left is anti-Israel. The American political left are sympathetic to those who are anti-Semitic. Why? Well, well we got to take a break, but it starts and ends here. You ready? The most prominent Western intellectual in the world today is Barack Obama. Barack Obama is deeply racist and equally anti-Semitic. Re- remember uh, six months ago when I told you that there were some writers and authors doing a deep dive on Obama? It's kind of like we should have done this before he got elected, <laughs> so we'd have known who he was and what he was about. But nobody, think? nobody did any of that on the front end, right? 
I mean, we knew a lot about Bill Clinton. We knew a lot about Whitewater and Hillary Clinton. We knew a lot about George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush, and we knew a lot about Trump, and we knew a lot about Biden. We didn't know anything about Barack Obama. So after he left office, a couple of real distinguished writers and journalists kind of went in there to find out what they could. And they have gathered and concluded. I mean, you draw your own conclusions, but their, their journalistic endeavors led me to believe that he is deeply, deeply racist and deeply, deeply anti-Semitic. One of the most consequential political Western intellect in the world today is racist and anti-Semitic. Why wouldn't his acolytes be anti-Israel? Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Well, and we've been saying for years, you know, Obama, Obama's third term, you know, he's pulling the puppet strings for Biden and all of the administration. But, I mean, it sounds like you really believe that. I think he's far more transformative than I ever gave him credit for. He is a movement leader. He is a, I mean, there's no doubt about this anti-America sentiment, this anti-Israel sentiment, this anti-West and Do you think he started sentiment. with that plan? I, I mean, don't when he know. came on the scene. And- well, I mean, here's what I've gathered, and, and take it for what it's worth. Man, I mean, I'm not some expert on Obama, but I read a lot uh, from these two distinguished journalists about who he is, what he believes in. It's what we should have done on the front end, but we didn't. I mean, we just didn't. We were so enamored with the first African-American president. And, you know, as Joe Biden said, he's clean and he's well-spoken and he's all these. I mean, how racist is that? But anyway, and 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 they have convinced me. And these aren't Obama antagonists. I mean, this isn't the MAGA crowd saying this. These are you know, guys who wrote for the New York Times and Washington Post forever and a day. This would be Woodward and Bernstein. They're credible men who did a deep dive, and everything I read convinced me that he is very racist and unbelievably anti-Semitic. And if there is a uh, kind of a, if the left is biased against Israel and support a lot of these anti-Semitic causes, they're at least sympathetic to that. I think it's it, it's because Obama has reshaped the mindset of the intellectual left. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. You know, you and I are probably never going to really fully understand it, but I think this this idea of this, the way that the left governs itself with this, this idea of intersectionality, for you and I, it just doesn't make a lot of logical sense that transgender people are calling for the destruction of Israel. Because we look at it and go, how can you be for a group of people like Hamas that would throw you off the tallest building if they ever had the chance to? And they just don't, they don't see it that way. It's not, it's not about who they love because they don't have any love. It's about who they hate. And when you hate, and you and I, you know, we weren't raised to hate. We don't delve into that a whole lot. And if we ever feel it well enough in us, we, we try to control it and deal with it, right? But hate is a lot like a person that's drowning. If you're drowning, you will grab anything that you think will keep you afloat. And when you hate something, you will partner with anything that you think will destroy it. And so it's, it's, there's a lot of hate motivating this. And, and I know that that's a real popular word these days. Oh, he's a hater. She's a hater. But, but these people were not taught to love. They were taught to hate. They were taught to hate America. They were taught to hate religion. They were taught to hate goodness, frankly, and not to teach a Sunday school lesson about it, but if you've read the Bible, you know how this is going to go. At, at some point in time, the whole world, the whole world is going to turn against Israel, The whole, us included. 
So it's not it's not over yet um, by any stretch. And this may not be the it that the Bible refers to, but one day no one will partner with Israel. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. That's kind of an interesting theory there. You know, one of the one of the I don't know one of the issues involved in this. I, I've read a lot of Victor David Hansen um, lately. Victor David Hansen said ten years ago, ah, five years ago, that the thing that concerned him most about America's future was the embracing of multiculturalism. He didn't say diversity. Diversity is one thing. Multiculturalism, the unwillingness to assimilate, the unwillingness to accept a set of values and views that are consistent with and and the characteristics and traits of a nation. I mean, Josh doesn't believe exactly what I believe. Larry doesn't believe exactly what I believe. But I think Larry's made of an interesting point. You and I were taught to not hate. I mean, that, that's kind of the America that we grew up in. Rev was taught to not hate. I mean, you can have strong opinions, and you can be opposed to certain things. But hate, man, I mean, don't spend a lot of time, you know, hating other people or hating other other things or hating hating other causes. And, and, and being anti-America doesn't mean you hate America. But I think in its former construct, and here's where it gets a bit weedy, and here's where I can get way out there if I'm not careful, in the in the the anti-America sentiment is not a hatred of America. It is a burning desire to change it. It's not that I hate the nation that has offered freedom and liberties and prosperity to more than any a country ever has. It, I, I just... I. I'm opposed to, and maybe it's something if I want to go the other step. I mean, I said this yesterday a bit, and I and I had a Jewish friend of mine that we were discussing yesterday. Um, maybe it's the Judeo-Christian ethic. Maybe it's at the end of the day, and and I and I, I'll say this. I mean, we're jumping around here, but I think all these are, are relevant to the subject at hand. Um, we were talking yesterday. Josh and I were talking during the break. Rev, you'd going to fix a, a cup of coffee. The the question that I can't answer. I can't begin to answer them, I and I speculate and I guess, but I don't know what the answer to this question is. How many Muslims are sympathetic to Jewish children getting their heads cut off? I don't. I'd, I'd, I'd like to believe it's a bunch. I'd love. I ha- haven't heard a lot I mean, of. There, uh, there is never condemnation. Yeah. There is never condemnation from the Muslim community. I don't expect apologies from uh, the Muslim Brotherhood that has deep ties to the Democrat party, deep ties to the Democrat party, deep ties to the Obama administration. Let me say that again. The Muslim brotherhood has extensive and deep ties to the former and current Obama administrations. Hmm. Um, but, but you know, once again, what percentage of Muslims practicing Muslims prayed for the children who were beheaded because they were Jewish. How much condemnation did we hear? I don't know. I don't have any idea. I mean, not, you know, Sharia law and non-Sharia law and the, you know, the, the Muslims in the Middle East are, you know, less, or they're more believing in Sharia law. They're more um, committed to a, I guess, extreme interpretation of their, of their faith and religion. Uh, it, it, th- th- those are very interesting questions that, that I don't have answers to. I mean, to me, they're the most important questions that, that I don't have answers to. But I am convinced now that some of the anti-American sentiment, some of the anti-Israel sentiment, sentiment is probably predicated on an anti-Judeo-Christian worldview, and, and Obama probably articulated that 
in the most accepting way imaginable because he is a, a prominent Western intellectual. I mean, I don't think you could, I mean, nobody would disagree that Obama was not uh, an intellectual and, and unbelievably uh, talented as a politician. And I mean, Biden's not a movement leader. I mean, Biden's a dunce and he's 80. I mean, forget Joe Biden leading. I mean, the Biden administration, the Biden administration, they didn't do this and they're anti this and they're, they're sympathetic. Joe Biden is 80 and dumb. I mean, on his best day, he's dumb. Now he's 80, dumb. He's always been a bit dumb, and now he's demented. I mean, he's significantly, his cognitive abilities are significantly demented. It's almost a perfect storm. It's almost a movie script. You've got this other guy who is unbelievably talented, unbelievably, unbelievably uh, transformative, and he's got, you know, the, the, the weekend at Bernie's guy in the White House. So everybody says, well, Biden's doing this, and Biden's doing that. The, the, the overwhelming majority of people who are making big decisions in the Biden administration are, are, are Obama loyalists. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, we posed a question yesterday. In what circumstance, under what condition, in what nation are we willing to spill American blood? And I don't know that I've come up with an answer yet. I mean, obviously, securing the southern border. I mean, there is an invasion of our nation that is being allowed to take place as we speak. I mean, there, and Bjorkas doesn't feel like he's got an answer to anybody about anything. Forget oversight. Forget the, the job of Congress. Bjorkas is going to just not secure the border and tell people it is secure. I mean, he's blatantly lying to the American public, but he works for the president. He doesn't serve at the pleasure of of Congress. Uh, so he goes there with his marching orders, just, you know, um, deny, 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 deflect, 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 don't answer, don't answer, don't answer. And he leaves there, and we don't know anymore, except that he's um he's a tool, and he's, you know, kind of a, um, he's an incompetent man doing a very important um, job. But, but other than some member of our armed services dying, trying to stop some, you know, fentanyl trafficker from coming across our southern border. I don't know that I want an American dying uh, anywhere around around the world. Uh, before we go to this, I, w- I want Josh to jump in because Josh has an interesting, I mean, he, he's a curious proposal and something that, I mean, if you're not careful, you can get in trouble. Rev doesn't know this because Josh and I talked before Rev got here this morning. But um, once again, I- I'll set this up. Rev and I are pretty much in lockstep on Israel. Rev, Josh, and I are pretty much in lockstep on Ukraine. I mean, no more funding for Ukraine. No more American dollars spent trying to help Ukraine defend itself against the former Soviet Union. None. I, I'm sorry. It's butchering. It's it's a lot of things that we don't approve of, don't support, but, but we've got enough to say grace over here. I am, I feel differently about Israel. I think Josh feels different, but he doesn't feel as strongly as I do. Josh asked an interesting question about anti-Semitism. When is it, I don't say warranted, but, but when is it okay to look at a group of people in a certain light if some of the opinions you have are found to be true? Yeah, the floor so, is yours, Josh. So this morning I came in and I asked you, uh, like, you know, we're conservative and and we agree that 
We we judge an individual based on the individual, but there are such things we as— We try to do that. Right. We but, try our best to do that. But there are such things as groups and statistics. So there is such thing as the African-American, the black community, and it is a fact that they are a minority in this country but commit most of the violent crime. Um, around 50% is what I've heard. And this, so this is a fact. This is not to say that all black people are bad, obviously. We acknowledge that. That's that's kind of something that we as conservatives are okay with addressing and saying, okay, well, why is this? Is there a problem? And some people get called racist just for bringing that up. So my question is, is this kind of happening with uh, Jewish people? Where, you know, I'm not saying, like, you know, I can point out that black people committing most of the violent crime in America is a fact. I don't have any kind of equal fact about Jews. I'm just saying if there is something like that, you know, do, do, do Jews control the media? Not saying that's true, but if it were, would, and, and that were a fact, but, and you were to point that out, would you be called anti-Semitic? I think yes. So is there anything that you can critique about Jewish people as a group, not on the individual basis, but as a group, that you would not be called anti-Semitic for. Okay, let me ask you this. Let, let me let me interrogate for a second. You ready? Right. If your home is broken into today and you tell your best friend, I bet it was a black guy, is that racist? Um, I, I'd say okay, yes. Okay, I think that's racist. I mean, absolutely. But if you find out from the investigative report done by the police that it was a 27-year-old African-American male, and you're not surprised, is that racist? No. Okay. I mean, I, 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 that's, I, we're getting in the way. I mean, we're getting close to being uh, taken off the air, probably, in all honesty, because <laughs> the last thing you want to do is be a racist in, in any way, shape, or form. You don't get to play anymore if people label you a racist, identify you as a racist. I'm just crazy enough to believe we can talk about some of these very important issues and maybe offend groups and maybe not. I mean, I'm, I'm not in the business to offend. I'm not in the business to not offend. But but when you told me the story yesterday, that's kind of the way I walked through it introspectively. I mean, if my home was broken into today and I got a call and I'm driving to my house and I'm saying myself, I bet it's a black guy that did it. That's racist. Yeah. I mean, I have formed a judgment based on nothing I know other than the 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 way I've been influenced by culture and society to believe certain things. That's why I said when you said you know we we try to not be racist. I I am I am to some degree racist. You are to some degree racist. None of us are pure as white snow, but we're just not. I mean, I'm not talking about white literally. I'm talking about figuratively. None of us are like that. I mean, we're all. I've said on the radio a thousand times, and I'll say it a thousand and one times. I've been around racism all my life. I've not been around hatred. And and I don't know, is anti-Semitism racism or is anti-Semitism hatred? I mean, when you cross into a country and murder innocent children, that's not racist. That's not some disagreement about ethnicity. That's hatred. I mean, there's something deep there. There's some resentment when you... And I mean, I've seen videos of Palestinians, and I'm talking about young Palestinians who join Hamas and are, are proud of what they've done. They want to tell their fellow relatives what how many Jews they killed. 
I mean, that, that's not racism. I mean, that's not, you know, some sort of ethnic squabble. I mean, that's, that's hatred. So at some point in time, and, and maybe, maybe I'm kind of answering our question, is anti-Israel the equivalent of racism and anti-Semitism hatred? Because I don't know the answer to that. I told my Jewish friend yesterday, when he said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. I don't know what I mean when I say, what is the difference in being anti-Israel and anti-Semitic? I don't know the answer um, to that. It's just something that's kind of kicking around in this busy head, and I can't come up with a with a solution. But I think when when Josh asked that yesterday, is there something about because you can say African American men commit fifty percent of the violent crimes, African American men make up what seven eight percent of the country's population. So so when when my home is broken into. And I get in my car because the police are there and they need me to come and fill a report out. And on my way there, I'm saying to myself, I know it's a, it's a black guy. That's, that's racist. But when I get there and they do the investigation and we find out it's a 28-year-old black man who's been in trouble six or eight times, by my not being surprised, it's not racist. Now, but that, that's basically, you know, okay, the facts say that there's a pretty good chance this is what happened. To Josh's point, what is it about the group of people that we know as Jews that the world finds so despicable? Right, and that's— And I I don't know the answer to that. I don't have any idea what the answer uh, to that question is. But it's there, and it's real, and maybe—I mean, here I go spiritually. Maybe it's that Judeo-Christian ethic. Maybe— I asked this to my Jewish friend yesterday. What if in 1948 the UN Truman was the official? I mean, Truman was the first official. I don't know the leader of the of the of a country that recognized Israel as the Jewish state after the United Nations uh, passed the proclamation. But what if Israel had become? What if U.S. What what if Israel had been designated U.S. territory like Guam, an extension of America? It's not the Jewish state. Jews can live there, but it's not the Jewish state. I mean, I'm being hypothetical because that's not what happened. But but what if the UN had passed a proclamation that named Israel as an extension of America? It, it would have been the 51st state because Hawaii and Alaska were not states yet, but it would have been, you know, a territory controlled by the big, bad, uh, and war-winning U.S. government. Would there be, Would there have been the resentment then? Jews live there. Uh, you know, well, I mean, the Jews live there now. Palestinians live there. Arabs, I mean, there are a lot of different kinds of people live in Israel um, today. Is somebody on the phone? On the phone? Mm. Uh, yes. Okay, we let's do. go there. Rick and Sumter. Hello, Rick. Hey, good morning, Ken. Hey, Rick, how are you? I'm good. Listen, I would put it out there. You are not racist for thinking, oh, my God, it's probably a black guy breaking into my car. There's a concept in sociology called ethnocentrism where a person naturally gravitates toward their own mores values that they were raised with and tends to think that's superior and that's natural where you get to be. And a friend of mine, you know, explained to me the difference between that or even prejudice and racism. Prejudice might be, I don't like you because you are. Racism is I feel the same way, but I have the power to harm you. Mm. And, you know, you're not. You were talking about the anti-Semitism. 
there is a difference between Judaism as a religion or even as an ethnicity and Zionism, which is a political movement. And you can be anti-Zionist without being anti-Semitic. Just wanted to throw that. Do the anti-Zionist know they're anti-Zionist? I think originally it was a political movement when Israel, they took, originally they took the um, a homeland for the Jews, a place where Jews can be safe, and they did take it to extreme a little bit. Now, and that became Zionism, all Jews need to converge on the homeland. Um, we'll offer dual citizenship to anybody of Jewish blood. And that you know, that was kind of an extreme movement. Interesting. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. I mean, these are serious topics. I mean, these are very serious. And I know that Biden's got 82,000 scrubbed emails. I mean, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the spending bill, but it focuses on Israel. Guys, this is right now the center of uh, the American political universe. I mean, what happens in this territorial dispute is very central to our government, our way of life, our belief system, our ethic, our priorities. We can't escape that. I mean, we just can't. It's it, Once again, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say it's easy for me to put Ukraine on the back burner. I mean, it is. I mean, I, I readily, it's, it's very easy for me to say what happens in Ukraine and Russia, God bless those people, but that's not central to American and its existence, its priorities, its beliefs, its values. The, the situation in Israel, I think, is very different. Let's go to the phone. Anthony, North Carolina. Good morning, Anthony. Hey, morning, fellas. Morning. I had a call on this one. Uh, can you say that uh, you can get taken off the air for being racist? I've never seen nobody get taken off the air for being racist. Maybe if you use the N-word, maybe. No, there, there, racist, there's, north no. Of a, there's north of 100 media personalities that no longer have a job for saying something that their corporate management perceived racially insensitive over a hundred have lost might, their jobs. Okay. Okay. They must have been way over the line because for a long time, Rush Limbaugh was considered to be racist over, over the radio and nothing happened to him as long as, long as he didn't say the N word. But I, I can tell you right now, if you say anything that seems to be anti-Semitic or against the Jews on the radio or TV, you will lose your job. Have you heard any actor on TV commercials say anything negative about Israel in this war? Oh, yeah. No. I mean, I've heard it over and over again. I, I've heard right, that the CBS, the CBS anchor said Israeli invasion of Gaza begins. There, there's a very, there's a, there's a pervasive anti-Israel sentiment in the mainstream media today, more so than has ever been in, in American history. It's, no, I can't say that. It's, it's more than any time I can okay. remember. Check the, the uh, internet. Jay Reno said any actor that come out on pub, any, any any actor that speak out publicly against uh, um, negative against Israel would never work in Hollywood. You would never see an actor come on TV and talk negative about Israel. But somebody you said too about the the prejudice thing about if you think that somebody black rob your house, that's not racism. That's prejudice. Break down the word prejudice. It means to prejudge. People got to realize that and try to put us blacks in the same category as the whites when it comes to racism. The man said it before, you got to have power over over someone to have racism. You, all, all you did was prejudge it, saying that it, it probably was somebody black. And you also said something about 
the evil of people that, that go to another country and kill whatever. My, my father is 74 years old, and he's seen a lot of stuff in this country since he was born. Do he, do he have the right to say that white people are evil? Like you say, uh, most of the crime here is done by black people, whatever, but most of the racism done here, real racism, not, not prejudice, is done by white people. And he, he has saw some, some evil stuff back in his days. So Absolutely, he's got a right to say that. Sure, he's got a right to say that. I mean, the days of the Klan, the days before civil rights, some of the days of the Klan. Absolutely, your, your father, grandfather, whomever Ken, has dealt Ken, with that has Ken, a right to say it. Ken. Ken, I know you are a white man, but I'm going to tell you, as a black man, there's so much stuff that still goes on, but we don't control no part of the media. It doesn't make the news. A lot of stuff is going on with these video cameras. Why don't black team. people control if the news? Was, why, why? I mean, Anthony, why don't black people control any of the news? Uh, you don't control most the um, news either, um, Ken. Why do you believe it? If, if y'all do y'all history on why other countries... But I'm, I'm asking you a question. You, you said you the black know. people don't control any of the news. Why don't the black people control no. any of the news? Ken, that is a, a major power piece in America. I understand what it is. You I'm well aware of what it is. I fight it every day. It's big and it's bad and it's so, powerful. No doubt about it. But I'm asking you a question. Why don't black people have a louder voice in the media? White and Jewish supremacy would never give them. We tried to buy NBC, Bill Cosby. Had so you're saying, you're saying the media is racially biased against African-Americans? Yes. Yes, yeah. Shall we only have BET no more to tell our story, our news story? Do the history of, of what happened to BET and who bought BET. The Jews bought BET from Ben Johnson. Man, if, 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 you, if you think that the media, the news is equally 50 50 and they tell the, the, the true story, they ain't never been that way. The 50s, the 40s, the 60s, the 70s, black people ain't never had an equal right share of getting their story told in the media from day one. From, from way back in history. So, of course, now it ain't happening. Now, no, we don't have a... Listen, Ken, when you see a black guy on the media as a news anchor, and he has no facial hair, and he laughs at them corny jokes, and he's... Just because he's black, <laughs> that don't mean he's a brother. <laughs> I knew that's what you were guy. about to say. He's a black guy, but he's not a brother. I get it. <laughs> hey, Anthony, we got a hard break, man. We got to take a break. I don't want to get too far back. Laughing at the corny jokes. Laughing at the corny jokes. No facial hair. Yeah. He, he's a black guy, but he ain't a brother. I, I know what you mean. I feel like that about some of the white guys. Uh, Mitt Romney comes to mind. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So we keep hearing this line that uh, only white people can be, quote-unquote, racist because they're the only ones with the power. But the S&P 100 in 2021, and this was reported in Bloomberg in uh, September, I believe, but the S&P 100, the businesses in that, reported uh, adding 300,000 jobs. Of those 300,000 jobs, 96% uh, went to, excuse me, 94% went to people of color, and meaning a demographic that is over 60% of this country got 6% of the uh, corporate jobs that were added in 2021. So let me ask you now, who has the power now? Thank you. Thank you, Jim. I mean, I could, I could be a bit funny, but I don't want really to get drunk. I could say, being, being a white dude ain't all it's cracked up to be anymore. I mean, 
<laughs> there may have been a day that we were the most advantaged species on the planet. I certainly don't feel um, that way, and and I, and I respect, and I do believe this, and I think you agree, Rev. I mean, Anthony's father, grandfather, seventy-five. I mean, he saw hatred, he saw unfairness. Some I mean, of there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't defend the clan, you can't defend, you know, someone having to drink out of a different water fountain, ride on the back seat of the bus. Um, I mean, the, the only I, the only apology I can give is to say that we've tried and succeeded to some degree to do better. Um, but but I'm to the point now, and, and you know, this will probably get me in more trouble. I don't feel white guilt. I mean, I've had it pressed upon me, and I, I've had it force-fed me, and I've had a lot of ancillary forces try to convince me that white guilt is something that I should feel. I don't at all. I mean, I, I just don't. Uh, I refuse to buy into that. I believe that our nation has tried to address its misgivings better than any nation on this planet in history. We have not gotten everything right. There is no doubt about it. And if you want to go back to slave trade, uh, let's talk about slave trade. Let's talk about how many nations in the world were not participating in human slave trade. Let's talk about how many African-American uh, well-to-dos placed their poor blacks into slave trade. It's, I mean, we got to hear the whole story. Um, we, we fought a war to liberate you know, uh, African-Americans who were enslaved. Should they have ever been enslaved? Of course not. I mean, if you are a, a believer in the Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, all men are created equal. All men are created by God. All men have a, a right to pursue. You know, when I'm getting to the government now, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And then we made great, great mistakes. But we've made great strides. And I'm tired of people saying we've not made great strides. I'm tired of people saying we've not done better at addressing some of the ills of our nation uh, I mean, th- th- there are countries around this planet that have made big, big mistakes and doubled down on those mistakes and have not tried to, to rectify and ask for forgiveness. And um, but but yeah, when it comes to, you know, when it comes to slavery and the consequences and reparations and the societal and cultural impact it's had even today, I just I don't buy into that white guilt. I- I'm sorry. I just don't. I mean, I am deeply apologetic for what our nation did to anybody whose family was, was treated the way they were treated. And and I know it's easy for me to say, but the future lies ahead. I get that easier for me to say. Um, I've I've expressed this before. I had a great grandfather, great, great, great grandfather died chancellorsville. I'd like to know what he was doing there. I'd love to know why my great, 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 great grandfather chose to fight for the Confederacy. Was it because there was a kind of a tyrannical government and he really believed that they were genuinely in pursuit of his freedoms and liberties? Or was he fighting to keep people enslaved? I mean, I've I've researched enough to know that he didn't have any slaves. I mean, I didn't know the answer to that question for a long time. I went back and looked at slave registers. Had a buddy of mine who's knows how to do that far better than I helped me. And he didn't have any slaves, but why did he die in Chancellorsville? Three days, four days, five days before Gettysburg. I don't know. Don't have any idea what the answer to that question is. And maybe the problem with the nation, Josh, is we don't have the intellectual curiosity we need to get to the bottom of some of these very complicated matters that have tremendous impacts and effects on on our nation's past, present, and, and future. Let's go to the phone. Jacob in Florence. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, good morning. Uh, how you guys doing? Hey, Jacob. How are you? 
All right, good, good. A little chilly this morning, but I uh, just want to chime in on what you're saying regarding the uh, this, this topic of racism. And um, you know, I have a I have a different take. Uh, I think everyone has a, their own point of view, and and I would take the Christian point of view. And I and I'll and I'll say this: I believe we're we're just one human race. And uh, every time we we get into these debates with the left, that you know, there's racism. We have to remember we're one human race. That's the way God created us. Now, it, are there differences in cultures, ethnicities? Absolutely. But we are one human race. So when, whenever we accept the left's terms about race, we're accepting that there's one superior race over another. And that's false because we're one human race. And, and so my, I think the point that I'm trying to say here is that we can't, we can't always be playing into the left's game plan. They always want to, to use euphemisms to, to confuse us, right? It used to be where back years ago, a man and a woman was simply a man and a woman. Well, now they're, they're coming out with these new terms that you're a, you're a cisgender man or a cisgender woman and transgender this and that. You know, it's, I'm, I'm tired. And I, think, and I think the Christian community has to stand up. For, forget this nonsense. This is, this is trash. It's garbage. We, we have to start loving one another as neighbors. We're one human race, all right? And that's, I want to keep, I want to keep my uh, message simple. That's all I want to say, uh, Ken, and it's always a pleasure to call in. Thank you. Appreciate day. you calling in, sir. And I do, I mean, as, as it relates to God's kingdom, we are all one race. I mean, there, there is no doubt about it. If, if I believe, if what I believe is accurate, there will one day be a, a day of accounting. And God's not going to say, okay, you white folk go this way. You Jews go this way. You African-Americans go that way. I mean, I, in, in God's kingdom, we're all one race. But in the real world that we're forced to live in, there are unbelievably unique differences between the groups of people. And I think that's what Josh is talking about. The group of people that are Jews, the group of people that are white, the group of people that are black, the group of people that are Asians, the group of people that are Muslims. You can't escape that. I mean, there's no way to live in this world and, and, and not be influenced by these varying groups of people and their tendencies and their biases and their prejudices. I mean, that's just, it's, it's impossible to do that. God gave us free will. That free will allows us to be judgmental. That free will allows us to be opinionated. And I don't believe he put a strong enough filter on anybody to stop human beings from being judgmental, from being opinionated. And when you do that, you don't step out of God's kingdom and God's evaluation because I I do believe the caller is exactly right. At the end of the day, when when the trumpets sound, we're all going to be one and the same. But while we're living (laughs) in this complicated world that includes, what, six or eight billion people, we're going to be opinionated and prejudiced. We just are. Take a break. Back at a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Neil in Sumter listening to WTXY. Good morning, Neil. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, I've been wanting to call in for a few days uh, with three terms that I think we need to kind of watch for. And if, if they don't exactly use the terms um, as it comes to this conflict, um, they're going to be using the principles of them. One of them is proportionality. One of them is moral equivalency, and the other one is cowardice. And I think we're seeing in the press, we're starting to see uh, confusion of proportionality. And, and proportionality, I was in the military, and, and we, 
you know, we're given law of armed conflict uh, courses and things like that. Proportionality is a pretty specific principle that basically says um, your attack needs to be proportional. Uh, in other words, if um, let's say let's say the Canadians decided to, to shoot some rockets into Detroit, we wouldn't go and nuke Toronto. Uh, we would do a proportional response. Um, proportionality is generally, you know, a principle that's applied kind of kind of at that moment. But it doesn't apply to this conflict because uh, I would say that if, if Sumter let Bishopville, we sent Bishopville aid for the last 15 years, and we sent them then concrete and building materials so they could, you know, rebuild Bishopville. And all Bishopville did was was build tunnels and rockets, waiting to attack Sumter. Well, once they finally did it, we're not going to sit back and go, oh, you know, we're just going to shoot some rockets at Bishopville. No, we're going to have to go in and take care of the entire problem. And that's what the Israelis are doing. And that kind of leads into uh, moral equivalency, and that's what I'm seeing in the press when I see the emphasis on the numbers. And you see it over and over again. 8,000 Palestinians killed, 1,400 Israelis have also died. You're seeing them start to do that. And as they do that, what they're going to get to the point of saying is, when is enough enough? When have the Israelis killed enough? And the point is, they, they can't stop now until Hamas is eliminated. And all the rockets in Gaza have to be eliminated. And the reason they don't have the same problem on the West Bank is, you know, the West Bank doesn't have an open border with an enemy. The Gaza, Gaza does by virtue of it being on the ocean. And then I think the other thing we need to think about is cowardice, because this attack last night, they're, you know, they're saying, oh, the, the senior Hamas commander was killed. He was in a refugee camp. There were civilians killed with him. You know, that's cowardice. That is these horrible cowardice, cowardly people hiding behind civilians. They don't have the guts to come out and be real soldiers. And it's cowardice. But it's strategic so, anyway. as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, well, that's well, where I'm headed. But I, I understand what you're saying, yeah. and I accept that. But it is very yeah. strategic to do it that way. Absolutely. Because because they know they've got these morons in the press on their side. I mean, let's face it. I mean, even though you didn't graduate from college, you were in college. You remember who the – sorry sorry for all the journalism majors out there. You know, you know who they were. They weren't the brightest and brightest. I mean, that was, that's who's reporting our news. They're not. They're not a bunch of geniuses. They're not a bunch of Elon Musk's out there. Well, well let, let, let me know, ask you this: I mean, you, you would be a good guy to, to, to bounce this off of. So let's. Sure. I mean, I understand proportionality. I get that, and yeah. and the public expects that. I mean, an eye for an eye, too. Anyway. Um, yep. But but if you kill every member of Hamas, that is not proportional. How does Israel defend well, killing every single member of Hamas? And, and still argue it was a proportional response. It's the same argument we would make about al-Qaeda. We spent how many years killing you know, everybody we could hunt down in al-Qaeda? Way, way more um, al-Qaeda or al-Qaeda-affiliated people than died in the 9-11 attacks. But because you have to eliminate all of them or they will continue to attack. So we haven't... We haven't but you can't eliminate the mindset. Team. You can't eliminate, Nick. I mean, you know this. You can't eliminate... Yeah. The hatred, to, in other words, if I you kill this. a member of Hamas, there's another. You kill that one, there's another. And that one, there's another. It never ends, right? Well, okay. Think about the wars we've fought and how we've ended them. You have to beat the enemy into submission. And for whatever reason, the 20th century, we think we don't have to anymore, the 21st century. But when World War II, we beat the Germans and the Japanese into submission until they changed their entire mindset. Germans to the point that they wouldn't even arm themselves, you know, until we forced them to. Um they're going to have to do that for this to change. I mean, it's going to be a long time. But think about in the Korean War, we didn't beat them into submission. We said, okay, it's good enough. We quit. 
Vietnam, we're like, oh, it's good enough, we quit. Same thing with the Gulf War in 91, and then eventually in Afghanistan. You know, we're like, oh, okay, it's good enough, we quit. But it doesn't work like that. You know, the, the mindset has to be eliminated. And I don't know if the Israelis have eliminated it in the West Bank, or it's just by virtue of the fact that they can't arm themselves. You know, imagine if the Gaza Strip had focused on tourism instead of terrorism. They have one of the most beautiful beachfronts in the world. They could just they could just out economy the Israelis. They go, hey, we've got the best best beaches, the best resorts. You know, come to the Gaza Strip. But no, they've chosen a different path. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate that. You know, and and I read some things yesterday about this, and I mean, to me, it always goes back to faith. I mean, it does. It goes back to spirituality. I'll read this verbatim. Uh, this is an article I read yesterday. We've often heard it theorized that anti-Semitism is a conspiracy theory, and it often takes that shape. But there must be something else that explains this enduring halo of hatred. The presence of such demoniacal behavior can only be explained by reference, you ready, to the supernatural. I take it as evidence that the Old Testament is true. These are the people God chose. And somehow the rest of the world knows this honor was not given to their ancestors and will never, ever forgive the Jews for it. I mean, that, that goes in the beginning. I mean, that goes back to the God of Abraham. I mean, that predates King David and, and you know, the, uh, the thousand one year or the thousand B.C. when King David authorized Jerusalem to be under Jewish authority. I, I, I don't think you can get away from that. I mean, we can debate missiles and bombs and weaponry and the Gaza Strip and tourism. I think we can debate a lot of these things. But at the end of the day, I believe it's explained by the supernatural. And I believe it's based in the Old Testament. And I believe that God, for whatever reason, chose the Jews to be his people. That means the rest of us aren't. And there are some ancestors... And, and current living and breathing people, this kid, they will never forgive the Jews for that. I mean, it, when you, because I can't, you talk about groups of people. You know, why are, why does certain places in the world hate Jews as much as they do? Why do certain places, Anthony's an African-American man. I've read a lot this week about African-American and Jews. You know, a lot of the resentment African-Americans have toward Jews, they believe the Jewish store owner hustled them. Charged them too much for goods. Charged them too high a percentage rate. And in American cities all over this country, Jewish store owners were in African-American dominated communities. They ran, they were the mercantile. They were the merchandiser. They, you know, they ran the business. Before Walmart and Target and Kmart and all these other big boxes, I mean, you went to the, you know, the store owner. And a lot of these store owners, when Jewish people made their way to America, I mean, they, they became merchandisers. And a lot of the resentment that African-Americans have from what I've read, I mean, I, I was not in Chicago in 19, you know, 54. I was not in Chicago in or Detroit in 1927 or New York in 1959. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I, I know I've read some about that. And it seems to me that some of the resentment African-Americans have toward Jews, they think they charge them too much and too much for interest on, you know, borrowing a little money or putting a little thing on layaway or credit. Yeah. But, but I still believe it goes back to the supernatural. And I believe it goes back to the Old Testament. And an honor was bestowed upon one, Josh, group of people 
and not the others. And some will never forgive for that supernatural feature. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone held on during the break. Let's go there. Linda in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Linda. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. Wake up now. Wake up. You took a nap during that long break. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, um, my grandmother, um, because we're in Sumter County, so there's not a whole lot of Jewish people here, but there are enough to know them. Um, my grandmother worked for a lot of Jewish houses, and she I never understood her relationship with them, but I d- always understood that she respected them. And a lot of things that we got was because they um, would help her get them. I mean, education, um um, one of her children wanted to do something. She said, you know, that's how, how she got the things that she did. They would help her. But in my personal experiences, um, you know, in middle school, high, um, elementary middle school, you said in affability order. And I always sat in front of this young gentleman who said he didn't like black folks I'm from elementary all, um, and middle school. Um, elementary, we didn't really talk to each other, but when we got in middle school, I started asking him, well, why you don't like black folks? And we would have a discussion, or he would explain to me that, you know, we were less than him. But by the time we got to high school, his attitude had changed. He wasn't the same person that I met in elementary school because now we're diverse, we're, we're getting to know each other, we're getting to know the falsehoods that are told on both sides. And I can say in high school, where we separated, because I was an R and he was an S, so we were no longer in the same classes, um, he was the one that, when I was crying one day, because um, being a smarty, you know, we, we, we don't know how to be friendly with people, he came up, and, and we sat together, and he talked, and he made me feel good about being in high school. So... This negativity we still having toward each other, it just takes a time to change because racism is a thought. It's not who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Well said. Thank you very much for the call. And um, let, let, let's, Josh, stick with me for a second because I find you and your perspective very interesting here because at times I wonder, I mean, I, I I think I understand where Rev lay. I mean, I do. I think I understand where the majority of people my age land who have the the political proclivities that I have. I mean, if you're a liberal, you probably feel a little bit different. If you're a secularist, I know you feel uh, differently than I do. And I said before, and I'll say it again, everybody doesn't have a biblical worldview. Um, You're entitled to make that choice on your own. But if God truly chose a group of people, how is it not perpetually complicated? I mean, if, if, if God in heaven, who spoke the universe into existence, I believe that. People who have a biblical worldview, you can't say, well, I believe it after Genesis. I mean, you, you either accept the Bible as the word of God or you don't. You don't have the luxury Jefferson. I mean, the Jefferson Bible, 
I mean, that that's the epitome of human arrogance. And, and Jefferson, if anybody deserved to be arrogant, it'd probably be him. But, I mean, Jefferson admitted, I'm not taking out things uh, because people shouldn't. I'm taking out things that don't, they're supernatural. I mean, I am a scientific mind, and you can't scientifically rationalize a virgin birth or, a, you know, a crucifixion, the resurrection, and, you know, a, uh, you know, God speaking in an audible tone. I'm talking about, the, the, you know, once again, as a Christian, I am a brother and sister in faith with the God of Abraham. It's just when we get to Jesus. But if God in heaven, I mean, we're getting a bit supernatural but and religious, but I mean, if, if I'm right and God in heaven has a chosen people, then how is it not perpetually complicated? Right. Uh, I, I, mean, it, I get what you're saying. It's not, I mean, it's not this guy got more votes than that guy. He's a little better politician. I mean, okay, that affects me a little bit or not. If God in heaven is who he says he is, and he is the creator of the universe, and at some point in time in the future, he reclaims his dominance over the sphere he created and allowed all of us to inhabit. Mm-hmm. How is it not? I mean, it would have been much easier for all of us that God said, I got no favorites. I mean, you folks have at it. You know, eventually there'll be six to eight billion of you, and there'll be a lot of countries and languages and There'll be some Gamecock fans and Tiger fans. There'll be some Republicans and and Democrats. That's not what God said. I mean, if you are a, 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 you don't have to be a scholar of Scripture. I mean, the Bible clearly says that Jews are God's chosen people. Right. Well, if they are, how how are the rest of us not going to be a little bit hot and bothered by by, by some of that? You know, um, the 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 most neutral arbiter in the history of mankind. The fair and just God in heaven says, yeah, but these people are my chosen people. How are we not always in a complicated position when it comes to the Jews? I mean, he didn't say, hey, you white boys from Pamplico, y'all are my chosen people. Hey, you you black lady from from Darlington, you're my chosen. No, he said, the Jews are my chosen people. Dennis Prager argues that the Jews created or invented civilization. Now, he's a Jew, and he has a, a kind of an Old Testament, the God of Abraham worldview. You get to Jesus, and, um, you know, we, we talked about the most complicated relationship, in, uh, and I don't know what it's like, but but a Jew and Jesus. I mean, to me, that that's kind of a, uh, I mean, I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Most Jews have not. I mean, there's some that have, Jews for Jesus. I mean, there's a, a kind of a subsect in, in, the, uh, in the Jewish faith. And um, and if 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 he's God's chosen people and Israel is indeed their homeland, that's the only place they can't colonize, right? I mean, you're talking about the New York Times yesterday or the day before anti-colonial defiance. I mean, it's terrorism, but the you know the 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 intellectual left in America today, and really in the Western world, not just America. I mean, well, it's not really terrorism. I mean, it's more anti-colonial defiance. I'm arguing the only place. The Jews can't colonize is Israel. If God gave them that land and made them the chosen people, and I know we're talking politics and we're talking CNN and MSNBC and Fox and New York Times and and the Washington Post, but if you have, if you believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic, all those are subservient and secondary to the Holy Bible, right? Yeah. I mean, CNN says this, yeah, but the Bible says that. Fox News says this. Yeah, but the, the Bible clearly says 
and the Old Testament. I just think it's, and if you think about it, if you are, if you're mad at God, how do you not hate the Jews? If you don't believe in God and the world has been organized in somewhat of a, uh, you know, a faith-based way, then how do you not hate the Jews? I mean, there's no, I mean, there, there's no rationalization to cutting people's heads off. I mean, there is a, I mean, I can rationalize, and I think you can, Josh, fighting over territory. This land belongs to me. Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. This land belongs to me. I mean, this is formerly Palestine. Yeah, but before it was Palestine, before the Ottoman Empire came along, it belonged to, you know, to the Jews, King David, 1000 B.C. I mean, I, I, I think those are legitimate arguments. Those are human beings believing they have a right to a piece of land. And, and you're arguing over the boundaries and borders and, and who has the deed and who has the title and uh, who was the, the, the latest and greatest conquest. That, that is a humanistic debate. But, but all of a sudden you say, yeah, but the Jews are God's chosen people. That changes the argument, doesn't it? I mean, J Josh believes the fence goes here. And I tell him, no, Josh, you're wrong. I mean, you're, you're, you're two yards into my, you know, you're two feet onto my property. And we argue about it. Human beings do that every day. But, but Josh never says, well, God gave me the two feet. You know, or God, uh, you know, made me different than he did you. But if, if, if you have a biblical worldview, you accept that they're God's chosen people. That confuses everything, doesn't it? I mean, help me. What, what, what am I missing here? If God has a chosen group of people, and, and we're talking about the Jews, how is everything not going to be perpetually complicated? Well, I, I, I want to say this, that uh, I, I get what you're saying, but um, I think it's kind of deflective in a way. So it's, it's basically like for you to say the Jews are God's chosen people, no, which they are. Scripture says that. I, right. Okay, I'm um, interpreting Scripture. So the Jews are God's chosen people, and, and that's why the, the Arabs dislike them, or that's why everyone dislikes them. Well, you're not a Jew, but you don't dislike them. I think they're, like I've said from the beginning, this is a really complex issue, and that I in in truth, I think both sides are somewhat at fault. You know, it, it, to to kind of get into this moralistic, well, like it's it's not rational to cut babies' heads off. Very true, but it's also not rational to shoot people in the genitals at the at the Gaza border. Uh, that's not rational either. And there's many reports of the Jews doing that before this war started. And and I think both sides, as a group, are somewhat at fault. You, I could say, okay, this Jewish woman, but, but, who, but, this 80-year-old Jewish woman who was burned alive in her bed, she didn't do anything wrong. But maybe that. But the, I'm not saying that therefore, the uh, Hamas is good because they are getting revenge. I think it, it's it's more complex than the Bible because because keep in mind the Muslims, they don't believe in the Bible. Correct. So so I don't know why God choosing them would would be the reason they don't like them if they don't believe that. And I get you're kind of appealing to the supernatural, but I I frank, I just disagree well, I mean, that that's the the cause. Bible is the interpretation of the supernatural, right? I mean the the Bible is a an accounting of God in heaven. I mean, the Old Testament 
is God in heaven. I mean, the New Testament is Jesus walking as God amongst men. I mean, you know, God goes from being God in heaven to God being, you know, in man in flesh form. How does that not? How does how, how do you read the Bible with not stepping into the supernatural? Well, of course. I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't. There's no way a human being can rationalize the Bible without considering it written and, and talking about the supernatural. Yeah, I agree. I just, when when we're talking about Muslims who believe the Quran, they don't believe the Bible. Okay. Then, and, then it kind of, that that explanation kind of falls away. Let's, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Daphne and Dylan. Good morning, Daphne. Good morning. Y'all are arguing about the Bible. It has nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with Hamas and all the Islamic nations that want not only the Israelites dead, they want us dead. If you're only going to argue the Bible, how do you explain the fact that they killed 3,000 Americans on our soil? You can't because they will not accept the Western way of doing things. All these children out there calling themselves pro-Hamas, if they were living in the Middle East, they would not exist. Thank you. Thank you. But but it's still, I mean, when you talk about, well, somebody else is there, let's go to the phone. I want to make sure we get another call and then we'll take a break. Matt in Florence. Good morning, Matt. Hey guys, good morning. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what. Uh, whenever the first time I deployed to Afghanistan, uh, I was trying to get my handle on everything that was going on, and here's what I was told. And I, I think the sentiment still rings true today. It's the Middle East. You're never going to understand what's going on, why there's fights and things like that. Uh, uh, they claim it a lot to be a religious a religion. A lot of it's sadistic. Um, it's it's almost like trying to understand a serial killer. You're never going to get to a place that gives you uh, peace of mind or rationale. Uh, so I so I bake it down to its base instinct. Israel's our ally, so we support them. Um, and that's just kind of the, the way it is. If Palestine was our ally, um, uh, we would support them, but not in the manner that with what they've done. But trying to understand the Middle East is about the same as trying to understand a serial killer. You're never going to get to a place of understanding with it. It's just not going to happen. This has been going on since the dawn of time. Um, you can just give up on the whole battle of trying to figure it out. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm not trying to figure it out, but, but we, we can't, well, I mean, I guess we are trying to figure it out. I mean, that's what we do on, on talk radio. We, um, we, and we, we try to, I mean, I think Jeff said yesterday, we identify the problems. Well, I mean, then we try to solve and, them. And it's, I mean, it's, well, I mean, we, we have conversations about some of these issues and I mean, I, I have a busy head. I accept and embrace some of this job. It's probably the only place in my life that the busy head syndrome is somewhat of an asset. I mean, it's a curse everywhere else. Um, the four hours are cathartic for me. They're therapeutic for me because I can try and inspire a conversation to create um, some debate. And that's very healthy and helpful um, for me. It's therapeutic. Um, Jeff called yesterday and said, you know, I've said on the air, my priority every day is to make people skeptical of government. It is. But but the the, the motivation I have is to try and inspire conversations, create ah, opinions, and, and and hopefully motivate someone to not be afraid to express that opinion in the public uh, square. Take a break. 
Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's okay. Let's let's exit the Bible for a second. Um, in seventeen ninety, George Washington spoke in Rhode Island to a Hebrew convention, congregation, whatever you want to call it. Um, Washington didn't express in his public statements much about his personal philosophy of religion. Jefferson did. Uh, Jefferson was agnostic. I mean, you know, there's a God in heaven. I ain't him. And I'm not sure he cares whether Carolina Clemson win football games and you buy a red car, blue car. Um, you got to put all this in motion. And he checked out. Um, Washington said much less about his religion, um, his personal philosophy. He talked about religion, just not his personal philosophy. But he spoke in 1790. I mean, this is less biblical and we're more about American politics, Josh. And I think this will help kind of us understand that even in the nation's founding day, 1790 would be 14 years after the Declaration of Independence. Washington was our first president. And he said this, you ready? May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants while every other shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. I just found that interesting, that in 1790, George Washington spoke of Jewish struggle. I mean, is that fair? I mean, there was a lot of things that predated. Now, now the, the, the Jewish state, 1790 would have been what? That would have been the British who would have been in charge of Israel in 1790? Would it have been the Ottoman Empire? Were they still in charge in 1790? I thought the Ottomans got overthrown by the British. That, 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 that's another point in here. Name an acre of land that some person lives on that was not involved in some conflict that ended in conquest. I mean, I'm asking a question I don't know the answer to. Is there... Have you found an answer there? Who was in charge of, uh, who was in control of Israel in, uh, in 1790? That would be kind of interesting to me because Washington, um, no, once again, we didn't have email and 24-hour news, and I don't know if Washington was so uh, much aware of the world. He's an American president. I mean, he's got to have some degree of knowledge about the world around him. We're a baby of a nation. We're still kind of a baby of a nation. We were, you know, crapping in our diaper in 1790. We were that young and baby a nation. But I just found it interesting that he chose to speak to a Hebrew congregation in Rhode Island, and he chose to say um, very explicitly, may the children of the stock of Abraham not be afraid. That's just, I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting, um, you got any answer here yet? Okay, that, that's a weird gonna, Google. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, who was it's in control complex, of Israel? But basically... The Ottomans. Okay, I thought that, yeah. that's near the end of the Ottoman Empire. The end of the right. The, that's near the end of the uh, of the Ottoman Empire in control of, and it was largely Islamist. I mean, it, you know, by and large, I mean, it, there were a lot of Islamic or Muslims in the uh, in the higher rankings of the uh, of the Ottoman Empire, and then the British, and then colonization, and then the Mandate, and then the Second World War, and then the United Nations, and then but, but it really, I mean, there's a complicated history. That if you look at the world in modern tech, there's a complicated modern history of Israel. 
in the beginning, it's not real complicated. I mean, it, it's simply not. And I still believe the most important takeaway here from someone who has a biblical worldview sounds to me like Josh may have kind of, sort of, a biblical worldview. Whoa. Uh, a little <laughs> bit. And, and I get, I mean, I get waffly. I mean, I, I do. I mean, I, you know, I've said that before. I got a couple of pastor friends of mine, and we'll talk about the New Testament. And, and I'll, I'll say, what do you say to someone who believes in the gospel? I mean, they believe in the New Testament. Get Old Testament for a second. They believe in the New Testament. They believe Jesus is the Son of God. But they wonder whether Paul may have gotten everything just right when he wrote Acts. Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed one of them days? Did, did, did he forget something one of them days? And But that that's me. I do question whether man has 100% accurately interpreted the Constitution. That gets me in trouble with some of my fundamentalist Christians. I mean, it does. They say there's no way God would have allowed Paul to write something that was not completely and totally in sync with his will, his word, you know, his aspirations for the world that he created post the uh, the crucifixion of Christ. But I do wonder that. I do question um, that. I do think about that at times. Um, but I don't know how I question the Old Testament. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I mean, in the beginning, okay, in the beginning, who's there? Uh, you know, Christ had followers. I mean, there were witnesses. There were historians. Uh, you know, the, the the God of Abraham. I mean, I know we we wrote things down, but you you kind of got to take some of that as the supernatural. I mean, I'm, you don't take things at face value, but I mean, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How you know? How you know that? Who was there? Josephus wasn't there. I mean, that would have been a historian, you know, talking about Christ. There's a lot of historical accounts of Jesus Christ. There's not a, I mean, I don't know of a reporter that was there when God spoke the heavens and earth into existence. So, 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 I mean, it, when, when, the, when, the, when, when Jesus made his decision to, to allow the Jews to be his chosen people, I mean, he didn't have a press conference. There wasn't a gaggle of reporters. So, Josh, you either believe the Bible as the, the, the omnibus word of God, or you, you say, uh, I don't know. I want a second source. I want, a, I want someone to validate um, that argument or not. we got to take a break, but right. I'm happy to explain it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Eight, four, I want to hear that on, on the other side. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. One of the reasons that Washington could have said that in 1790, you ready to go to history lesson? I mean, Bolt's not here, so I'll take over instead. Um, Robert Gibson gets the majority of credit. Robert Mars, I'm sorry, Robert Mars gets the majority of credit. I mean, he, he would have been the, the, the primary financier of the colonists during the American Revolution. Um, there was also a Jewish man, last name was... Uh, Solomon, uh, I can't think of the first name. Last name was Solomon. Um, he was, I mean, he was Morris's right hand man. I mean, he did, and 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 together. Now Morris gets most of the credit, probably deserves most of the credit as the the primary financier of the um of the colonist side during the the Revolutionary War. But there was this Jew that aided and assisted and. I mean, worked out some of the financing. I think the French, I think these two guys may have dealt with the French about bonds and loans and debt and repayments and whatnot. Um, 
some of the other large donations that were made by wealthy people who wanted to support the, the colonist cause. I mean, it, it, it gets real complicated. So maybe Washington was saying thank you to not, not one single Jew who was a colonist, but rather the Jews that had supported uh, the colonist cause during, or the revolutionary cause during the American uh, Revolution. Okay, Josh, the floor is yours. Um, your interpretation is well, when it you know when it comes to scripture, I don't think it really matters what George Washington has to say. Okay. Um, I do think it matters what Paul has to say. I've been trying to find things, but basically, they talk about what I've been hinting at, where. The Jews are God's chosen people, and I'll get into a second as to th- why I think that was. But, you know, the the Jews carried around the fragments of the Ten Commandments that Moses broke uh, when he came off Mount Sinai in the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ten Commandments were God's first covenant. And the New Testament depicts Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant, Jesus Christ. And so the new covenant, you know, which is not to abolish the law, as in the rules, like don't covet, don't kill your neighbor, blah, blah, blah. But it establishes uh, this new paradigm in, in God's influence on the earth, where before, you know, basically... It's, it's really kind of fascinating when you think about it. Before this kind of colonization period in human history begins, when the Romans and the Greeks, they start to, all right, we're, we have our own area, but I'm not satisfied with that. I want to go into other places and take over. And, and you know, this, this colonization period begins. Then Jesus comes and, and changes the paradigm and says, well, now the chosen people are, are all people. And basically, you know, and that's basically kind of summarized by Paul in the Scripture. I'm, you know, the screen's a little far from my face. There's Galatians 1, 13 and 24. You know, I won't get into that. But basically, I think that before this colonization period begins, you have it where everyone is extremely tribalistic. The Egyptians have firm rule over Egypt, and they only care about Egyptian people. So, so God chooses a nation to be his representative on the earth. And so why didn't he choose the Chinese who, you know, historically have the highest IQ? Why didn't he choose the Egyptians who were building pyramids and had this great empire at the time? I think kind of like how Jesus was going after the least of these, he was going after this, God chose the small fish to be his representatives on the earth. That's an interesting theory. Um, somebody's called to contradict you, I'm sure. Um, that's probably the um, the head of seminary at some theological college who stumbled on this radio show traveling down 95 and says, what are these coops talking about on the uh, on the show? 843-661-0937. But, but you're arguing, no, you're not arguing. You're, 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 you're pointing out that some of the writings of the New Testament invalidate the Old Covenant? Yeah. I mean... Like so, let me ask you this: What do you think it means that the Jews are God's chosen people? What do you think is the significance of that? Uh, that's an interesting question. I've never thought of that. Um, that 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 I will always care for you. I will always be there for you. I will always provide for you. You are 
a little more special than everybody else. You're a little more precious than everybody else. I choose to begin earthly civilization with you. Um, what, what else could it mean? Um, you, you, you know, I'm going to bless you with the ability to see you the future. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's an interesting and very perplexing um, question. What did God mean when he chose the Jews? Maybe somebody out there with a degree in theology, you know, or has, you know, I mean, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, and I've thought of it. I just, I've never come up with a good answer. Because uh, I've, I mean, I, I'm kind of the Rudy guy when it comes to there. When it comes to what he meant about that, I'm kind of like there's a God in heaven and I ain't him. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as I yearn and desire and try to know what his plan is and his purpose is for, um, I mean, I think you can do that with your life. You know, I think, I think you can yearn to know why you're here, why it matters to be alive today, why God has given me a radio show, why God allowed my kid to go through these struggles, why God made the Gamecock suck and Clemson have all these good years. I mean, I think you're always curious about that interaction or relationship. But when it comes to the macro, why did God choose the Jews to be his people? I, that, that's so far above my pay grade. I, I can't begin to fathom how I would give an answer to that. I think I can answer in humanistic fashion. And I, and I told Rev during the break, and, and I'll wig you out when I say this, and you'll probably stop listening because you'll say he's off the deep end. I think God allows us to dabble in the supernatural more than we choose to. I think God presents us with the supernatural. We're just not as keenly in tune with his will and his way. The world kind of takes over. But but I do. I think God offers believers opportunities to dabble and dwell in the supernatural, but we're so consumed by our earthly existence that we don't take advantage of the opportunities he gives. I know that probably wigs you out, and I don't no, know. No, and I get it. And believe me, because I, I realize that when it comes to, I don't know if evangelical, but like a lot of Christians believe the kind of sentiment you do about Israel, and that concerns me, not in the sense that I'm worried for you. I'm worried for me, because if I'm wrong, then I could be in big trouble well, with the big guy upstairs. And that's why we and, have these debates. Or they, exactly. They're, they're very essential, and, and they're to me, they're necessary. And the more of these we have, the better place we end up. Let's go to the phone. Our friend Reggie is on the phone. Good morning, Reggie. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, not You're not far from the kingdom of God, my friend. Um, so let, let, let me chime in, if you don't mind. Please do. So, you know, the Bible didn't come with a, a holy table of contents. How do you know which scriptures belong in there? And I'll tell you how we know. We know because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells Peter, after he gives him the keys to the kingdom, he tells him, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then in chapter 18, he gives that same power to bind and loose to to all of the apostles, which is why we as Catholic Christians believe that when the church makes a definitive proclamation on matters of faith and morals, we can rest assured that the Holy Spirit has protected it from error. And in 383 is how we got the book of Scripture 
that we have now. The Old Testament was, was ratified, and the New Testament was ratified. Now, Martin Luther took out seven books, but we, we don't need to get into that debate. <laughs> um, and so the point is, the reason you can rest assured, back to your earlier thing, the reason you can rest assured that, you know, that the book of Numbers is, is accurate on matters of faith and morals, and that, and that the book of James or the book of Revelation or Matthew's Gospel belongs, is because the Church gathered together to help debate that. You know, there was a secret gospel of Mark. There was a gospel of Thomas. There was a gospel of Judas. There was a gospel of Peter. They had to discern with the Holy Spirit, hey, you know, which of these are real and which of these aren't. And so anyways, I don't, you know, you've got lots of other good speakers. This, it's great debate. And, but that's, that's one of the challenges is that we have 30,000-plus denominations in Christianity all interpreting the Bible their own way to some extent. Well, explain. Thank you, Reg. Appreciate that. That's kind of an interesting take. And Reggie devoted uh, a great deal of his life to the church and the Bible and the 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 walk in faith. Um, talks a lot about as part of his business. You know, his faith integrated into his business, into his into his personal life. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We're getting way out over our skis, Josh. Right? Yeah, this I mean, is probably the only where, local radio talk show that's talking. But I mean, you would agree. But, but you would agree with this. It is so encouraging to me when we go down this different road because there's a thousand places, guys, that you can read a story about Joe Biden's emails. I mean, we could have spent four hours talking about Joe Biden's emails, and guess what? The next guy is going to spend three hours, and the next guy is going to spend three hours. I just believe that once your audience makes it clear to you they have an interest in this subject, and you guys have. I mean, it's been a week and a half, and we've not had a day of less than six, eight phone calls per hour. So you've exhibited an interest and curiosity about this story. Um, I mean, I don't know how this show would fly in. I mean, forget my accent for a second. Talking about the Bible and Scripture and prophecy and biblical fulfillment. I mean, I don't know how that plays in New York. I I think I do know how it plays in New York. (laughs) And California, but we're in the South and, and, and Southern people have a, I mean, a larger percentage of Southerners have a biblical worldview. There's a reason the town with a thousand people has four churches. It's a big part of people's lives. I mean, the, the, the church means a lot to people down South. Um, I'm not saying the church doesn't mean a lot to people in New York, but, but this sort of conversation is probably not going to be as well received in some of the more secular places around our country. And I'm thinking about New York and California. And I'm not saying that to insult anybody or disparage anybody. I mean, it is what it is. I've accepted a long time ago that my worldview does not have a monopoly on worldviews. My opinions and dispositions can't be dominant. They're mine. I mean, I'm always trying to improve my opinion, improve my disposition. I never... I mean, politics and flip-flopping. I mean, I I just remember thinking to myself, so I'm too stupid to change my mind? I mean, if I say one thing today and the ground conditions change six months from now, I'm a flip-flopper because I said something six months ago that's inconsistent with what I say today? Maybe that's my business training, but I've always believed in politics. You got to be smart enough to change your mind. And now he's a flip-flopper. No, I'm not. 
I'm open-minded. I'm willing to listen to things as, as the situation or circumstances evolve. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Matthew in Branchville listening to WTQS. Good morning, Matthew. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, I just want to say first and foremost that I really I enjoy this kind of these topics when we start getting, you know, talking a little bit about religion and just di- people's different take on it. And, and one of the callers before said, I think he said 30,000 Christian denominations. Um, and, and just all of us, you know, we put here for for a reason to make the earth better I, in, in my mind. But the reason I called is I want to kind of expand on or, or ask Josh to, to give me his thoughts on this with Scripture, but if you go to the book of Revelation, there's a story in there about the woman and the dragon. And and what it does, it talks about a woman who was in immense pain, childbirth, giving, she was about to give birth. And there was a dragon there that was about to, to grab the child as soon as it was born. And I heard this explained in a sermon out of Florida a couple weeks ago, and it talked about the woman is Israel, the dragon was Satan, and the baby that the mother was giving birth to was Jesus. And, you know, that's how it was explained. I, I just, I wonder what Josh thinks about that. I mean, I, I found it fairly compelling and very believable, and it made sense in today's time. But, uh, again, thank you all for everything, and uh, I'll take your response off there. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bible is conf- ah, confusing. The, the the Bible is all encompassing, and then you've got revelations. <laughs> I was I was just gonna say like you 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 mention it all the time where the smartest thing someone can say is they don't know. That applies tenfold to revelation. I I had my pastor at a former church back in the day when my kids were much younger. Uh, we lived on the the I lived in Evergreen between Florence and Pamplico, and you know we were a member of a church. I developed this intense friendship with our pastor. And he came to me one day. I mean, he knows me well enough to know that, you know, um, I can cut both ways. I'll just leave it. Uh, and he knew that about me. Um, but he asked me to lead a small group on revelations. And I said to my pastor, man, I don't know that I'm the one that lead a small group on anything. I, I don't know that I'm theologically sound enough. I don't know that I'm scripturally scholarly enough. You know, I'm not confident. And I don't know that I've devoted enough energy to read and understand and decipher what God's word means in different, uh, I just not, you know, I've read the Bible a couple of times from cover to cover. I read it in different sorts of ways. Uh, one time I read it, I started with the gospels and then I went to places in the old Testament. I'd mark my, anyway, that's years ago. I uh, hadn't read it in a while. Hadn't read the Bible through and through in a while. I got this app gives me Bible verses daily. Uh, you know, I try to live my life inspired by God's word. Some days, I score an eight. Some days I'll score a one. Some days I'm probably in negative territory, to be honest with you, when I'm having one of them days that, you know, everybody has. But but he asked me to lead this small group on revelations. And I said, I don't know, man. I said, I don't know that I could lead a small group on the gospels. I think I could do a better job. I think I could do an adequate job of, you know, the book of Mark, Matthew, Luke, or John. But revelations is confusing. And it's, it's, it's a lot of symbolism, and there's a lot of interpretation. And he said, that's exactly why I want you to lead it, because you'll admit to the small group that you don't know. 
You're, you're, who is an expert on revelations? I'll show you a liar. There is a small percentage of people in this world that have devoted enough of their life at understanding the nuances of Scripture to identify themselves as an expert in revelations. It, it's, it's like the Fed. The more you read, the more you try to understand, the more confused you become. We shouldn't, we shouldn't avoid revelations. We, we should try to interpret revelations. We should read and study and try to better understand because it speaks of the end times. You know, when I, when I was a kid, you had some of these churches and pastors talking about with certain degrees of certainty, the end times are just around the corner. Well, I mean, I, I don't want that because I'm 17 and I want to live to be, you know, 79. You know, whatever happens after that, that's their problem. But give me my time on this on this planet. But my pastor was adamant about me doing that because he knew I would go in to that task as someone who admitted he had a limited understanding about what the interpretations of symbolism are and what God's word meant. And because it's, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's out there, but it's, it's out there. I mean, it, it really and truly is. I think it's essential to the Bible. I mean, I, I think it's very important and, and, and conclusive in, in, in some way, but it's, I mean, it's a hard read and it's a, it's a harder job to lead a small group, unless you say on day one, um, there are a lot of these things, a lot of things about this book that I just don't know. And we're going to work through it together uh, the best way we can. Let's go to the phone. It's almost there. David in the PD. Good morning, David. Hey, guys. Good show, man. Uh, I was thinking about Mr. Spock. He would call this show fascinating. Uh, you guys have talked about organized religion versus individual spirituality. Uh, I, I, intellectual curiosity, you always bring that up, Ken. You, I want to learn something every day. I love people, so if I meet a bus them today, I've met them before, I love them. Nice people. That's because I treat them nice. I don't have, I don't, I don't treat them bad, but anyway. Uh, but, you know, think about the web of identity politics. And I look into this every time these Democrats, they, they are so good at it. And then Josh brought up a good point. He was talking about the Chinese, and I think about AI ethnic secular communist Chinese, they have, whereas, you know, technology is God today. Guess what? I'm talking to you on a device. Somebody could track me down in probably two seconds, and they know where I'm at. They know what I'm thinking. They know what I'm trying to think. And I always look at this. Um, where do they stand? Where do they look at all this squabble that we have within our uh, religions and this and that, our spiritualities. Trust me, man, if you're just a secular, you're communist, and our country is becoming more like that. So we've gone from what I call the 1980s Madonna material world. Uh, we've gone to a 2020s virtual world where none of this, none of this, what you guys have talked about the whole show, it don't matter. Uh, it, you know, religion, spirituality, God, it don't matter. It's all about the uh, technology. So you guys have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is the number. You, you want to, I mean, you want to opine on what the caller before David had to say about their, uh, some pastor's interpretation of Revelation. Because I asked Josh when he walked in the studio, 
Um, and I told her this morning I was going to make a big big part of the show because his opinion, I mean, it, it's, it, it's interesting to me. Um, Rev's is not today. Because Rev has an opinion. Well, I mean, and, and he knows this. Like I mean, every day. Well, I mean, you, you, well, you and I have talked enough to, I mean, I know where you stand on on this particular issue. Josh stands in a little bit different place than we do. And I find it interesting. I find it refreshing that Josh is not going to bow to the wheels of the host. I mean, the easy thing for Josh is a young buck who just mm-hmm. gets here. Says, oh, you, know, you know, yeah. I mean, what, you, what he said, you know, what, what he said. <laughs> But but I respect someone who ah, what he said, but yeah. you know, or what he believes, but right. and I think the most interesting thing Josh brought to the table was, I'm not concerned about you and your opinion. I know you're comfortable in your opinion. I got to get real comfortable in mine. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the only way to solidify the comfort you have in your opinions is to always question it. Never ever completely make your mind up. Always be skeptical of what it is you believe. Always challenge the realities of what you believe, the practicalities of what you believe. And I understand Josh is a young guy, and here's two older guys who have been on the radio a long time, and they can convince people a lot of things. And and, and Josh has this alternate opinion. And, and I, you know, that, that's what I've always said, and I'll say it again. I've never believed it was my job to try and convince you that my way is the only way. I am comfortable in what I believe. I, I want I want you to be comfortable in what you believe, confident in what you believe. And the only way to be comfortable and confident, in my opinion, is to continue to pursue, have that intellectual curiosity that questions why you have these fundamental beliefs in your life and how much time you've invested to stand on those beliefs. Let's go to the I'm not talking about what you're having for dinner today. Or, or, you know, are you going to the ball game Saturday or not? I'm talking about these fundamental bedrocks in your life. Why do you believe them? Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence, good morning. Well, let's do this. Hey, let's take morning. a break. I, I don't want to cut Jeff off. Let's take a break because uh, we're going to have to take a break in about a minute or two, and that's unfair to Jeff. Uh, our callers are going to hate this, but I'm going to give Jeff the balance of the show if he chooses to take. Well, we got a monster truck driver here in just a bit. So we got Jeff and the monster truck driver. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. You know, I was thinking about this, about Josh and our interaction yesterday and today in particular. And I, mean, I don't want to say this with full disclosure. I have a worldview. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about lower taxes. I could be wrong about less government. I could be wrong about deregulation. I could be wrong about anti-Israel or anti uh, you know, Semitism. I could be wrong about everything I believe in, but it's things I believe in. And and I told Rev during the break, the only wish I, I don't know, the only thing I wish for the American people were us giving more serious consideration to the things that are very fundamental in our existence. Let's go to the phone. Uh, Jeff hung on through the break. So Jeff, thank you for hanging in there and you're on. Well, hey guys, how you doing? Um, Interesting discussion today. Um, when you you look at that piece of land that is Israel, and you wonder why it's uh, so contentious, you know, Jesus was a Jew, and whether you know, when you look at uh, the um, Torah, you will find a lot of the Old Testament. You know. Jesus uh, didn't really start a religion. He reformed it, just like Martin Luther did. Mm-hmm. You know, and but he wasn't the last prophet, according to the Muslims. 
Jesus is in the Quran. The a lot of the books of the Old Testament are in the Quran. You know, their religion is built upon Christianity. Is it a good interpretation? That that's not for me to decide. I think it's been used in improper ways. Um just like Christianity has at times in history. Um, nobody can look at the Crusades and think that that was a good thing, right? Agree. You know, if you look at the Puritans, uh, the witch trials, like that was all done in the name of God, incorrectly, all of it. So, I mean, it's it's a fascinating argument, but there's no no mistaking that the United States, because it's, not religious based is is the perfect place for Washington to give a speech at a synagogue in Rhode Island. You know, they found a home here that wouldn't judge them by their religion. I think that's what's great about America. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you do you see it that way? Sure, sure. I mean absolutely. I mean I, I think being able to believe what you choose to believe and live your life accordingly is probably the greatest asset or attribution we've offered to mankind uh, is, is once again, Jeff can believe what Jeff chooses to believe. Ken can believe what Ken chooses to believe. And we can civilly or not so civilly debate, discuss, argue. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's where you and I do land in a very similar place. The greatness of this nation is that without question from religion to politics, to college football. Yeah, and the enlightened uh, founders saw it. I mean, as much as, you know, you, you don't like that side of Jefferson, he, he was perfect for this. You know, like the his fingerprints, if anything, on, you know, making a government for the people, by the people. Because let's, let's remember what they were fighting against. King George was anointed by God in the Church of England to be their leader. Correct. That's what they were fleeing, you know. It was, it wasn't, you know. They came here to get away from that, and when that came over here, that's when they rebelled. You know, we like to talk about taxation, but basically, it boils down to somebody telling them how to live their lives. Well, Jeff, if you and, remember, and, and it's on reliable sources, the the debate about the Declaration of Independence, the word inalienable or sacred, was Jefferson and Franklin. And they chose not to use sacred because they thought it could reflect, you know, a, a certain religion, a religious bias. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely had in mind, uh, we don't want to have a, a uh, we don't want to have a king, but we certainly don't want to have our leaders elected by divine right. Yeah. You know, and, and so uh, yesterday after I called, uh, another caller called in directly after that. Uh, you recall him? We had a lot. You always, yeah. that's why I wish you'd call earlier, Jeff. I mean, it's yeah. 20 bucks. I mean, if you'll call between six and seven, yeah, you're good for business. Yeah, there's a gift card. We get all these gift cards. We swap out on radio. So if you'll agree to call between seven and seven 30, <laughs> you inspire our audience. And that makes my job a lot easier. Well, I, I, I certainly hope I didn't inspire that guy because, um, it, it was, it was disturbing. You know, uh, his his speech uh, about why we shouldn't defend Israel. And, uh, you know, it it shows you that there's so many views in this country. But uh, um, that that one in particular.
particular just uh, was disturbing. I agree with you. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, have a good day, guys. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate that. We'll, we'll get at it tomorrow, I'm sure. That, that's, <laughs> that's 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 one of more. Jeff and I just had a cerebral yeah. uh, well, conversation. Well, it's a cerebral well, I mean, conversation Correct, this but I mean, somebody called yesterday, and I respect their opinion, and I'm not going to stop that person from being allowed to call in, but they called yesterday and said something. They basically agreed that it was ah, anti-colonial defiance and not terrorism. And I, you know, nah, it's, it's damn terrorism. I mean, cutting the heads off innocent children is an anti-colonial defiance. I'm going to protest in the street. Some of the Ivy League institutions allowing some of this anti-Jewish or anti-Israel protesting. I mean, that, that is, I mean, that may be based in an anti-colonial uh, way, but, but no, cut, cutting the heads off innocent children, that's terrorism. Period. End of discussion. I mean, there is no, I mean, I don't know how anybody argues anything other than that. I mean, that's motivated by hatred, and that's meant to instill fear and terror. That, by definition, is terrorism. I mean, it, it's just for the life of me. There, You know, I'm real good at trying to complicate simple manners, and then I go back and say simplest is best. I mean, the best decisions I've ever made in my life I made in less than a day because I didn't try to psychobabble myself into, into conflicting positions. You talk yourself out of something. You talk yourself back into something. Well, you talk yourself out of something. And I'm not saying don't do your due diligence, but there comes a point in time when, when a group of people invade a sovereign nation, whether they like it sovereignty or not, it's sovereign. The United Nations recognizes Israel as a nation. And whether you like the boundary in Gaza or you don't like the boundary in the West Bank, when Hamas invades Israel and commits genocide against the people of Israel, the Jews, how do you not call that terrorism? How do you not call that barbaric and inhumane? And that's the point that, that I made yesterday. Is there a complicated argument on the periphery? Yes, of course there is. I mean, we're, we're talking. I mean, we, we talked a lot about it this morning. I mean, there is, and and once again, I think we stumbled on kind of kind of an important factoid in all of this. If if God has a chosen people, how is it ever going to be simple? I mean, just kind of say that out loud. If God, indeed, if the Creator of the universe, in the process of creating the universe, chose a group of people to be different than the rest, how is anything after that going to be simple? It can't. I mean, it's always going to be perpetually complicated, correct? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's so, 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 and once again, we mere mortals, I don't give a damn what your IQ is. I don't care if you're the high IQ Asian that writes software for Google. I don't care if you're the, the, the dumb country bumpkin in a tobacco field and, in Pamplico, none of us compare to God's almighty sovereignty. Uh, it, it's a little bit like, I mean, I, I was asked this question, and I've said this on the air before. My pastor is an intellect. I mean, he went to Oxford. He went to Brown. He's well-versed in theology. He has a very scholarly understanding of the Bible. And we were talking about humanity one day, because he knows I do a lot of this craziness and was in politics. And uh, anyway, smartest man ever. I mean, I don't know, technically who's got the highest Q ever recorded. Josh, do you know, I mean, Einstein comes to mind. I mean, I think there have been several IQs recorded higher than Einstein. But splitting that, it means you're pretty smart, right? I mean, we can all agree to that. 
Um, <laughs> building truck beds requires one thing. Splitting the atom <laughs> requires um, something uniquely different. And, and, you know, you talk about, you know, God's brilliance and genius being a hundred and the dumbest man God ever allowed to be created is zero. Where is Albert Einstein? And I, I mean, that, for the life of me, I don't know why I did this, but I said, eh, 75. And my pastor said, he's less than one. I mean, the most brilliant man God ever created or allowed to be created. I mean, his intellect, his, 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 you know, intellectual horsepower, his understanding, his comprehension. I mean, it's not godlike. It's nowhere near, near God. God, Einstein split the atom. God created the atom. Einstein is trying to understand the universe. God created the universe. And that's just, I mean, it's unfathomable to try and suggest that there's a mortal out here somewhere. That Elon Musk and Peter Thiel, I'll tell you now, they may give God a run for his money. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. You're on. Uh, good morning. All right. All right. It's a great show as always, uh, Ken. But uh, I I think that uh, you're absolutely right. On a scale of uh, zero to 100, uh, even Einstein's less than one compared to God. I mean, uh, you're talking about infinity. And it's God's choice about things like that. But I think if you really want to think about it as far as confusing things, it's given a creature like man, free will <laughs> to, to uh, the ability to say yes or no, to actually choose part of their path or choose part of the their attitude toward the universe. So you got a problem there. But I think uh, Jesus answered part of your conundrum that you were proposing all morning uh, in uh, one of his parables about the uh, the contractor that hired people in the morning and at noon, and uh, even though he needed more people in the afternoon to only work an hour or two, uh, he paid them the same. So uh, well, is it any of your business whether God chooses those people or not? I'm not saying. Uh, personally, I think I've been a chosen person or I wouldn't even be here. So that's, that's uh, the way I feel about it. But uh, have a wonderful day. I don't. I don't know. Jeff almost sounded human, sensible today. I don't know what's come <laughs> over him. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he, he, he'll um, he, he'll 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 renounce his citizenship to wake up Carolina tomorrow and become our resident antagonist. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You know, we talk about the limits of this show, um, and the different aspects of this show juxtaposed to traditional conservative radio. We're about to stretch our own limits. You ready? We're going from our interpreting the Holy Bible to monster trucks. It's a you segue. Yeah. And then nothing stands between revelations and monster trucks, but a six minute radio break. So forget the old and new Testament, forget the covenants. We're going to talk monster trucks with a guy who started as a hobby. That's a, it's a variety. Crack. We're just proving we have a oh, variety yeah. of subjects here or on the show. Or we're yeah. proving we don't know anything about anything. <laughs> therefore, we know everything about everything. Um, Jimmy Creighton is with us. He is a, a monster truck driver with a background in robotics and engineering. 
Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. And we're not going to have a Bible lesson uh, here here well, this morning. Okay. There, you, you had a peak, and now you're going to have a low. <laughs> no, no, we're not. <laughs> this is going to be important stuff here. Um, so so uh, you're kind of living a – well, I mean, a lot of us have hobbies that we wish could potentially become a job and career. You live that. I am one walk, of the lucky ones. Walk me through that process. Wow. So I actually have a, a degree in aviation, too. I'm also a professional pilot. So I went to college for engineering, uh, aviation, and robotics. And uh, uh, But before all that, I was, you know, I grew up in that early 80s where the, the – we put the street trucks started getting bigger on the on the on the street. We, you know, when the thirty five inch tires came out, then we all had to go get thirty five inch tires. When thirty eights came out, we had to go jack them higher and get thirty eights. And I mean, South the Carolinas are full of those trucks. And uh, um, so I grew up in that. And then that movie would big, take this job and shove it, where Bigfoot debuted his truck nationally. You know, on on TV, and thought, wow, that's pretty cool and stuff like that. And so we that's the era i grew up in so in high school i had all those things and then i used to take in mud runs started getting popular where you take the trucks and run them through mud and and uh i used to take my street trucks and do that with it and my my grandfather always told me he says you're you're you're, you're a little bit dumb <laughs> he goes to think that you're gonna go out here and run your truck through the mud and then expect it to bring you home you know so he goes you ought to build yourself one so then that's kind of how it started. I, I built myself a mud truck. And uh, and so I, I was I was in that, doing that as a hobby, of course. And uh, then I kind of quit all of it, went away for college for about 10 years. And I got interested in fixing one of my old street trucks up. Well, I met, ran into some people I used to mud race with, and they went into monster trucks. And I thought that was the neatest thing since sliced bread. And, and I saw, so I thought, wow, I said, I, I, and he wanted to sell one, of course. And I, I always knew if, you, if you're going to get into something, you need a mentor. He said, well, you know, I'll, I'll sell one. I'll keep one. I'll, I'll provide the semi and you, you know, you pay for the diesel fuel. And, uh, I said, oh God, this is perfect for me. You know, I could, you know, but Never thought that, you know, you have to travel for this, you know, and I had a full-time job with Colgate Palmolive as an engineer. And um, so I didn't get to to do it much, but I enjoyed it. Well, I ended up losing my job um, to downsizing. That's middle management and all that. And my boss told me, he goes, well, take what you learn and go elsewhere. And I, I had, didn't want to really go and start climbing the corporate ladder again. So I, 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 I decided to take my hobby at that point and make it a career, give it a shot. And there's lots of struggles along the way. Sure. I mean, you're trying to, trying to make a living in, in the racing industry is very difficult, but I'm, I'm, tw uh, uh, February will be 29 years. 29 years. 29 years. Of being a monster truck driver. Every weekend. I mean, I've do, I, when I first started out, I was doing about 60, well, not, not exactly in the beginning, but soon after the beginning, I was doing about 60 shows a year. And, um, and out of 52 weeks, I was catching fares during the week and, you know, in the summertime and all that. And we're pretty much running every weekend. I'm down to probably about 45 now with 35 and I, what well, we do our own promotion. So I'm just as busy. Um, so I do about 35 shows and for myself and I do about 10 for other promoters, just shows I like to do. 
So, so, so you're here to promote a show this Saturday. I am at the Florence Motor Speedway. G- give me what someone could expect if they choose to go to this show, and we want to encourage people that we'll give you a way to buy tickets here. But what sort of show? Will the consumers see at Florence Motor Speedway this Saturday? Well, you're going to see a big crowd, so I, I would get your tickets early. Uh, this show always does fantastic. We're going to catch a beautiful day, but the show itself, uh, you're going to see tr- monster trucks doing racing. Uh, you're going to see us doing two-wheel skills where we take the truck and we'll put it up on the front end. We take the truck and put it up on the back. We take the truck and put it up on its side. Uh, just try and uh, we get two chances to impress the crowd crowd gets to judge who they thought did the best and then they're and then um they're gonna see uh us do everybody's favorite freestyle where we just go and just let it rip for about 90 seconds and uh 90 seconds might not seem very long but it is and uh but how much uh, fuel do you burn in 90 seconds <laughs> you know everybody's like, well, how many how many miles a gallon do you get with that thing you don't you get it's, it's yeah. how many how many gallons yeah. is it going to take you to go a mile yeah. you know it's, it's a it probably takes you about five gallons to go a mile in that thing wow yeah yeah so yeah it's a it, it's supercharged on methanol and uh and uh it likes it it got we have to buy it by the 55 gallon drums and uh but uh it, i want to also add that uh we're gonna have freestyle motocross out there they're very good doing backflips in the air and all that stuff but what people might want to come out and see, I encourage you to come out and see it. It's it's really crazy. Uh, we brought a side by side backflip in here. It's like like a razor or something. Like he he launches this thing about thirty forty feet in the air, straight up in the air, and uh, and backflips it. And uh, he's he's been landing them quite often now. But when he doesn't land, it's quite the crash. Wow! So the gates open at noon. The Correct. show starts at two. A okay. couple of hours, I got to believe, show lasts a couple of hours yes. or so? Yes, sir. And then we'll be giving rides out there and having a pit party and all that stuff. Yeah, okay. it'll be a fun time for everybody. You said someone that wants to go needs to get a ticket now. How do they do that? I mean, I've got a, a website here, scmonstertrucks.com. Um, yeah, 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 that's probably, yeah, right. Uh, or uh, 2xmonstertruckslive.com uh, or, or, uh, or 2xtreme racing Facebook. Uh, you'll, uh, is that too extreme? Is that the, le- the, the number, number two, two X T R E M E racing, racing team? Ra- okay. uh, no, um, two X monster trucks, live.com. Okay. Live.com. Um, it'll be at the Florence motor speedway. Yes. You're right. The weather looks spectacular. Oh, it's going to be God. You're, you're in college football country. So everybody keeps up with the weather, right. with the weather on Saturday, but everybody doesn't love college football. You know, I think about a lot of people enjoy these races and, and monster truck shows as much as they do as much as they do fourth college. fourth or fifth time we've been here and we always draw big crowds and it's, it's a good time yeah and, and you're not i mean you, you accept you're in the entertainment business i mean you're you're there we've kind of accepted that yeah we have deep conversations at times but the majority of of what we do here is, is entertainment and people are looking for bang for their buck when they spend the, you know disposable income to be entertained correct we uh we we're pretty proud to keep our tickets our ticket prices low uh relative to you know going to the movie or or uh going to a football game yeah, try, or anything try, like try that. A, a ticket to see the game or, or, for tigers or race a racetrack you know or uh any kind of racing uh live entertainment i think we're uh very competitive okay and that's www.scmonstertrucks.com or to the number two X T R E M E 
My, yeah, uh, Monster Trucks uh, TX you threw me off. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Doing part of it, two X Monster Trucks Live. Okay, and that's a Facebook page. It is, and someone can purchase tickets via the Facebook page. Right, or or yeah, right. Or there's a Facebook page and a website. Gotcha. And Rev, we're we're kind of partnering with this, being absolutely the, somewhat of a uh, a marketing agent or helping make sure we have a big crowd there. Lawrence Motor Speedway this Saturday. I would imagine get there as early as you can. The gates open at noon. The show will start at two. Uh, Sounds to be interactive. You're gonna give some rides to some kids who want to. Uh, right, right. So, so there's there's several different tickets available. Um, if you you can buy just a uh, general admission where you just come you, know, you come in watch the show, or you can buy a uh, you can buy a pit party pass where you can come out and get next to the trucks. But you can also buy an all access pass, which will get you into the event, get you into the pit party, and get you a ride on the right. Okay. Track. A little VIP treatment. Correct. At Florence Motor Speedway. Yep. And I would add, listen to your favorite community broadcaster's radio station because our different stations are doing events throughout this week. There's several today and again tomorrow and Friday and I think uh, Saturday morning uh, where the monster truck will be on display. People can come out and see it up close and personal, right? We have two today. Um, one is uh, uh, at a do the Dodge dealership. Mm-hmm. Um, you could help me out with the name of that. Uh, it's uh, here lo local. Yeah, Hartsville. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, and then we're do. I'm going to be at a Piggly Wiggly. Uh, yeah, I, I personally will be there uh, this after after that. I haven't looked at the rest, but we do have two tomorrow on Thursday and two on Friday. Stay yeah, busy. I, I, I can I say it's saying. it's a Hartsville Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram today from eleven to one. And then Piggly Wiggly Darlington this afternoon from 4 to 6. Uh, tomorrow will be a Darlington Chainsaw from 11 to 1. And then McLaughlin Ford and Sumter from 4 to 6. Okay. Uh, promoting the event. That should be a lot of fun. <laughs> and once again, the gates open at noon. Show starts at 2. Get your tickets now. Don't wait. As he said, um, I remember. I mean, he's talking about growing up in the 80s. I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s. And I remember that one of these first big trucks mm -hmm. show up. And you're like, that's crazy. I never do my truck like that. And then your buddy does his truck, and then another buddy. Next thing you know, you're you know, and it, it is still a big craze. I mean, now now even uh, mud racing has gone to a whole nother level, and they're still they're still doing it. You know, and uh, uh, I don't monster trucks is just keep gaining popularity year after year. I, I watch it. I mean, it's, it's uh, Sunday afternoon. Sometimes I'll turn it on. It was the old um, I don't know one of the ESPN stations. It's pretty uh, supportive of <laughs> a monster truck. Motorsports in general is something I find very interesting and entertaining. I, just uh, like, I like the sound. Yeah, I like the sound, and I like to watch them. I mean, it's crazy because I, I, I mean, I, I'm not an engineer in no robotics, but I built truck beds for a living. So I've been around metal fabrication and what mm -hmm. makes things work, and I've always found it very curious, very, uh, very interesting. I just don't know how he doesn't have a, a, a back and neck brace on uh, well, from, from the way you <laughs> land on that well, I, I have lots of comebacks for that. I, 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 I do. Okay. Enjoy it. Thank you very much. We'll take, I know we won't, we'll get out of here. Talk tomorrow.